Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody that's tuning in. This podcast is now up on YouTube. You can find us. All you got to do is type in the Big Honker Podcast, and uh, all of our episodes are up there now. So go check it out. Subscribe. Hit the like and subscribe button. I bet you hadn't heard that before a million times. The hunting season is over. The boring days of the waiting until September to get here. And listening to the Big Honker Podcast, apparently. And we do appreciate everyone for listening. We want to thank our sponsors. First sponsor is Alpha Outdoor Specialties, which is also our newest sponsor. And they're coming out with the Stanfield Stool, which we will release by the end of the month. So it was Alpha Outdoor Specialties. They can do anything. Fabrications, they got it all. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. And we will have a lot more on Alpha Outdoor Specialties after we release the Stanfield Stool, which will be the new way to hunt in comfort in an A-frame or a pit blind. No more hemorrhoids. Nope. I'm sitting on a bucket for too long. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. And then let's talk about Dive Bomb. It is the end of the year. The One of the major selling points of Dive Bomb is they are easy to pack away when the season is over. Especially if you get the bags like I've been telling you to do for the last three years. You get the bags, you put them away, clean them off, hose them off, do whatever you got to do, let them dry. Back in the bags, back in storage. For us, we just... Uh, we, we cleaned out our trailers and uh loaded them back up so it's an easy storage solution you don't have to take up a whole grain silo like you do with those clunky ass full bodies to me that is really packing them up is kind of the best thing uh in my mind and they're sitting ready to roll next year as soon as we ready to go to hunt we could go to north dakota in august if we wanted to to hunt and we could pull a trailer up there and it's ready to go uh, they got some new products on the market. They got the uh, kickback laydown chair. So if you're looking for that, it's got armrests and a nice, uh, hell, I think it'll even give you a massage if you get the deluxe version. But they got a lot of cool new products. You can check them out at divebombindustries.com. And if you're looking for an uh, easy way to uh, get away from the bulk of full bodies, Dive Bomb is definitely the way to go. And our boys over at Boss. Brandon and them got it going on. Folks. All made in America. It only, it's like a train. Only takes one. You don't have to shoot them three times to kill them. It takes one. They've had they've had product all winter. You've had to order them in the morning to get them by the time the day's out. I had a guy message me today and said, Jeff, I'm coming to see you next November. When do I need to order my boss? I said, as soon as you want to do it. He said, I ordered it. It's on the way now. It so doesn't go bad. If you come to the Big Honker Lodge, you can order your boss. Have it sent directly to the lodge. Pick it up when you're here. Guys from California that hunt with me, a lot of them order all their shells, have them delivered here, pick them up when they leave on a hunt because they can't get them in California without going through a bunch of paperwork and pain in the ass so if you want a boss that's the way to go that's bossshotshells.com hardest workers ever i mean to to be faced with what they have had to overcome this this uh this waterfowl season with the supply chain and all that other bullshit and to have inventory in stock ready to roll my hat's off to them they pulled it off uh they're the best in the business so that's that's who you should spend your money with bossshotshells.com some more people you should spend your money with are the boys up there, Spoke Compton, Washington, Mr. Trevor, Austin, Alex Jurgis, Pacific Calls. If you want to call in a bird, they've got a call for you. Whether you're chasing lessers, honkers, specks, snows, turkeys, turkeys coming up, they're a one-stop shop. And they are incredible guys. Um, if you want some custom engravings or whatever, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to oblige you. Just drop them a message, PacificCustomCalls.com. They've also got some sweet-looking gear that they're getting ready to release, uh, hats, shirts, and stuff stuff of the like. And I've gotten more messages about this. They said, hey, I saw you were wearing a Smoke'em shirt on the YouTube channel. 
How do I get that? Well, it's easy. You go to PacificCustomCalls.com. They just got a fresh batch up yesterday, and they're not going to last very long. So check them out, PacificCustomCalls.com, and uh, tell them the Big Honker Podcast people sent you. We're also brought to you by Shin Gear Waiters, the best waiters that are on the market right now. They're so comfortable. I mean, it's like you're walking on clouds. It really is. I didn't get to wear them a whole lot. I only got to wear them a couple times, as a matter of fact. But the times that I did, I did not want to. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to come out of them. I, I I could easily see myself dry land hunting in, a, in an A-frame with shin gears on. I mean, they're that comfortable. You don't know that they're on you. The boots are incredible. The fabric uh, around your your torso and your legs are impeccable. They're tough. They're resistant, and they come with a with a guarantee that they're going to stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. So if you spring a leak, you call the people over at Shin Gear, and they'll get you taken care of in a reasonable amount of time. It's not like other companies where you have to order two pair of waders just to have one. You send them to them, they fix them in a, in a short amount of time, they send them right back to you, you're ready to rock. I haven't had one person tell me that they – and everybody we're a sponsor from, people give us feedback on them. Right. I haven't had one person give feedback yet that they had problems with the waders. Not no. one person. And no. We've been, they've been sponsored for six months. It's the best – you get what you pay for in this country. We ought to know right. that by now. If you get on Amazon and you buy something and it's cheap, usually you're getting a cheap product. If you buy something and you pay for good quality service and it costs a little bit more, you're getting what you're paying for with Shin Gear. It's exactly what you get. Good quality product with great customer service. That's ShinGear.com. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the way I start my morning every day out here at the Big Honker Lodge. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. The Missouri Boat Ride Blend, the best that there is. Ever since I've had COVID coffee, has kind of had this bitter, weird taste to it. The Missouri Boat Ride, I do not get that. Little hints of sugar, and I'm out the door. Thermos is ready to rock and roll. Incredible people over there at Dirty Duck Coffee. They're always trying to find a new blend that works for everybody. But I'm telling you, if you get yourself the Missouri Boat Ride Blend, you will not be disappointed. They're going to uh, hunting shows right now. I saw, I think they're at uh, the Houston, Houston Safari Club. Houston Safari Club. So if you're, if you're in the Houston area, uh, go check them out. I'm sure they'd be delighted to shake your hand and sell you a nice bag of premium roast coffee. It's delicious. Dirty Duck Coffee. You won't be disappointed. Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck, maker of the best A-frame that is on the market, the Lucky Duck 2x4 Blind. It fits four grown men as advertised. It's tough. It's durable. Uh, take your hide wherever you go. Uh, they also make waterproof spinners that are the best. And I tell you, another product that we just got turned on to is their goose flapper. We had uh, a very tough second half of our season, but actually the Lucky Duck goose flapper convinced some wary speckle bellies and honkers and some snow geese to just give it up on a dime. If you're running into that problem, maybe your geese are getting a little wary of the flag, put that goose flapper out. It does make a big difference. Um, it's remote operated. You can uh, you can change the wing cadence just off a touch of a button. You can turn it completely off. You can turn it on. Uh, they're easy to move around. So one morning we had them on the wrong side. Geese were finishing uh, where we didn't want them to. Picked them up, moved them. No problem at all. That is over at LuckyDuck.com. And I'm telling you, the more more tools you have in your tool chest, better off you'll be. LuckyDuck.com. Uh, also, we're brought to you by the boys at the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast, Mr. Logan Pyatt and Rebel Heron. Great guys. Uh, if you subscribe to their Patreon account, you can get full access to all the debauchery that they have going on over there. Uh, the bourbon review is still free to everybody, but if you want to hear 
uh, the nitty gritty and the good stuff. You got to pay a little bit. Go to their Patreon site, uh, pay your monthly subscription, and away you go. I think you can even spend up to 20 bucks if you want to. You can get the gold elite status. Uh, but they're great guys. They have a hell of a podcast. It's fun to watch them grow um, as podcast hosts. So we hope that you would tune in the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Also, we're brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. Take care of your four-legged critter. The quick-release system ensures that that dog is where you want it to be, and it does not take a step forward until you're ready for it to. Um, I, tell you, I, I use it every single morning. Hook it onto Lou. It's easy to use. Pull the chain, and then there he goes um, when I, whenever I'm ready to release him. It's got anchors and different hookups to where if you're hunting out of a boat or a pit blind or whatever you got, you can always set up your quick release system. Works everywhere. Also, they've got the field trauma kit, which I think every hunting bag needs, every pickup truck needs. Um, stop bleeding, stay warm, matches. I mean, it's got it all. Um, Alex Langbell has taken his career as a first responder, and he has put it all in a little bag for you. So if something bad happens, either to hunting buddy, your dog, you're ready to go. So check them out at Gundog Outdoors and at least get the field trauma kit because you need it. Also, we're brought to you by Steak Plains Meats. If you've seen the price of hamburger meat at the store, you would know why so many people are starting to buy bulk. They're getting these whole, uh, these whole steers. They're getting these whole beefs delivered. Um, if you've got the freezer space, it's definitely worth doing. Uh, hamburger meat's getting ridiculous. All the meat is getting ridiculous right now. But if you can, if you've got the storage, I would say everybody needs to stock up, buy in bulk. You can go to Steak Plains Meats down there in Crosbyton, Texas, um, and they will deliver to you. They do. They do custom order steaks. They do it all. It's just a nice old fashioned meat market, and that's what you need. And I'm telling you, we just got it. We just got a whole beef here delivered at the lodge the other day. It'll get you. It's going to get us through the summertime. We got three families. We'll take turns. Well, not take turns. We'll just get whatever we need to get out of it. Hamburger meat. Yesterday, I checked on price of hamburger meat. Almost seven dollars a pound. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's what a steak was not long ago. Yeah. And so you you know if if you're on if you're on a budget you know take save a month's worth of money go get your stuff and save that meat because meat's going to be in high demand if you're buying it off grocery stores all the time. There's plenty of cattle in Texas. Buy it local. Go to a local meat place like Steak Plains Meats. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. If you're wanting dates for this coming waterfowl season, uh, you better get on the horn within the next couple of weeks because number one, we sell out most of our dates the year before. And what dates we do have left, uh, they're going pretty quick. I've got right now the week before Christmas and the week between Christmas and New Year's, I still have some dates open. If you want any of that, you better look, call me pretty fast. November dates are going real quick. we got an extra week of season we're going to get probably the November 5th week, so I have some of them dates still open. But if you want dates and you want on our calendar, you need to let me know pretty damn fast. And, yes, I do answer my phone. Had someone ask me that again today. It's really Jeff. Yeah. Is this really you, Jeff? Yes. Uh, nobody else is going to answer the phone around here. I don't even know how to answer it. <laughs> too fancy anyways call me or send an email goose at west w-e-s-t-e-x.net or jstanfield68 on instagram thank you so much god bless y'all okay boys and girls this episode of the podcast we are joined by jim kern former texas rangers uh pitcher and fergie jenkins he is a hall of fame uh major league baseball pitcher and uh we get we get them both on here and we have a great time uh talk about a lot of things it's uh it's a lot of fun and whenever you can sit across from two men that were uh the epitome of baseball for a long time 
It's a fun episode. So we hope that you enjoy it. Here they are, Jim Kern and Fergie Jenkins. Okay, and then do that. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Pacific Calls. I'm Jeff Stanfield with... Just plain old Andy, Jeff. Just plain old Andy Please. today. Because with us today, we have our good friend, former Major League Baseball player, Jim Kern, who owns Emu Outfitting, and ex-Major League Baseball player and Hall of Famer, Fergie Jenkins with us. How are y'all, how are y'all doing today, guys? Oh, we're doing great. Doing doing great. Uh, you had us out hunting hogs last night. And, uh, Heard fer- Fergie missed. Oh, no, he scared the hell out of one. <laughs> <laughs> so We didn't find it, though. It, it didn't die of shock. <laughs> we're going to break the ice right off this to bat. Tell, tell everybody how you, the first time you met Fergie and how that went, because this is a great story. Well, the, the first time I met Fergie was in spring training. Um, I had gotten traded from Cleveland to the Texas Rangers and it's kind of interesting when you get traded the first time and you walk into the opposing clubhouse it's kind of like walking into the enemy camp you're not comfortable well as I park in the parking lot in Pompano Beach Florida where spring training was I notice here's this truck with a bass boat behind it with a Canadian license plate and I'm wondering who the hell does this belong to and you go in the clubhouse, and you're looking for somebody to hang with, you know. And mm-hmm. So we walk in, and sure enough, the bass boat's Fergie. So me, me being a smart ass, I walk over to Fergie, and I said, uh, what time are we going bass fishing? And he looked at me, and he said, right after practice. And so he takes me out. We get going down the highway, and we're talking. He's going to take me to this phosphate pit to fish. And I'm talking how I'm a little, you know, I'm a northern kid from Michigan. I'm not into snakes or gators or such. Immediately, he pulls off the road, turns around, and heads the other direction. And I'm figuring out, what the hell's going on? So we drive down, and he pulls into this boat ramp, and I look at the sign that says, Alligator Alley. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, this SOB. You know, here he is. So here we're going along. We're running back into the Everglades and, you know, a landmark in the Everglades is a piece of grass that's six inches higher than the other 10 trillion. And he gets me lost in about 10 minutes and pulls in this lagoon. And I bait my hook and I reach over and reach in the water and wash my hands off. He says, you shouldn't do that here. I said, why is that? He said, there's some big ass gators in here. I mean, some big ones. And I thought, right. Yeah. Now you're trying to scare me. And so I, finish washing my hands, ignore him, and get out and cast. First cast, I'm starting to reel back in, and all of a sudden this log Mm-mm. comes up to the surface. And Fergie's got a 16-foot bass boat, and this log is bigger than the bass boat. And all of a sudden it develops a tail, a mouthful <laughs> of teeth, and now I'm backing up into the middle of the boat trying to find the exact center. And Fergie says, leave that little guy alone, but... Don't fish on this side. This is where the big ones are. (laughs) 
And this is how our relationship started. I mean, Fergie has terrorized me in my entire life, inadvertently hooking snakes and then reeling them in, terrorizing me and throwing them back out. I mean, this is my good buddy. <laughs> now, how's a guy from Canada like snakes? Well, it was just the fact that I hooked them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it's just a, a situation where, you, you know, the snake is only as dangerous if it's in your boat. But it never got in the boat. But and you're not I, scared of snakes. No, I'm not scared of snakes. Oh, I hate snakes. I uh, hate I've, I've seen them. Well, I had a ranch in Oklahoma, a lot of rattlesnakes and copperheads. I don't, and I turkey hunted, never hunted off the ground, always in, in a tree stand because copperheads are the same color as leaves, whatnot. Yeah. So, but I, I just, I think if you see a snake, you're bigger than a snake, make a little bit of noise, it's going to leave. If you corner them, Maybe you're, they're going to be a little more defensive. but uh, See, I always the, shoot them. Yeah, that too. I've, I shot a lot of snakes, especially a shotgun. I'll tell you, any time that Fergie went fishing, you'd be a better be on your toes in the clubhouse because if he got a snake, he put it in the live well because he figured you could have some fun. <laughs> in, in my book, it talks about, you know, Fergie and snakes equal entertainment. <laughs> tell, tell them about what you did to Jim Bibby. I mean, Bibby was a pitcher for the Rangers, 6'5", 260 this man was huge his son plays pro basketball right no his brother, brother played pro henry, basketball henry henry okay but his okay mike bibby Hen is one of them's son at henry that's henry's son okay he played he plays he might still play now i don't know i think he's a coach idiot. okay he's a coach now. fergie and fergie would terrorize jim bibby was fergie's roommate before and so fergie decided to terrorize this man he had hands that were like meat claws Tell him what you did to him. The big dude. Uh, you know, I'd caught a snake, and it was a, I think it was just a water snake, but it was a good four and a half, five feet long, Oof. black. And uh, I chopped its head off and uh, put it in the live well. And I said, well, I'm going to play a couple of tricks on some of the guys, you know, just pranks. And I, I took a monofilament line, and I ran it across the uh, top of the lockers and down in towards their spikes. Basically, our, our shoes were always on, on the bottom of part of the, of the locker. And I'd put it in between the spikes, run the monofilament line all the way back to my locker and waited for everybody to show up. And after uh, Bibby came in, he's getting, getting ready to get dressed. I think he checked his, basically we had fan mail. And I pulled the snake up like that. Bibby flipped over the back. <laughs> and... Uh, Many, many words that I won't discuss that he said, but he was going to hurt somebody. I never told him who never did it. Never told him who <laughs> and, and Fergie called him either Giant or 747. Oh, it was incredible. Well, you see a big man do a fl backward flip like that, and all those words, he's, I'm going to so-and-so, so-and-so, if I get you, did this. And I was... Not me. I was a mummy. <laughs> Didn't say anything. See, luckily, we don't have copperheads out here, because I... I, I I don't like snakes at all, but turkey hunting, you run into the occasional rattlesnake, but thank God I don't have to worry about. They'll warn you. Part, they'll, yeah, they'll exactly. Warn you. I can, they I can at least get a warning with a rattlesnake. Yeah. Copperhead is just, it hits you and yeah. away you so, go. Did you grow up in small town? Small Canada? town in Canada. Little, little, basically an agricultural uh, foundation uh, where they would uh, basically, we had, uh, I, I shouldn't say, Oh, uh, I think the the main, uh, uh, I think, uh, and I'm trying to put it in perspective. They they had pioneer corn and decalb, and later on they became king grain. And what had happened is they got bought out by different companies. 
but they were just the blue collar workers, mostly a farm community. So it's a, it's a you grew up in a small town, really small town, twenty twenty two thousand people. That's a big town compared to well, Knox City. compared to Knox City, we yeah. compare everything to yeah. So, but I moved there. to Blenheim, Blenheim, Ontario, at eighty five hundred people. So that's where you <laughs> did you go to high school there? Yeah, I went to high school in Chatham. Uh, I went to a tech school, which is a trade school in uh, in, in, in Chatham. Chatham. Yeah, and you said there was three black guys went to school with you. Is that right? Three, uh, Lonnie Brown. Jake Bayless and Fergie Jenkins. And I played hockey. I ran track, played basketball. Jake Bayless played hockey, didn't run track, but uh, Lonnie Brown ran cross country. But we were athletes. And uh, I think the biggest thing is I wanted to excel. If I could make a varsity team, as long as I had a B average, I could play in a varsity ball club or a hockey team. So your mom made sure you made your grades too. Oh, she was... She was a, a stickler. She didn't like you playing hockey, though? Yeah, the hockey story is, and Kearney mentioned in his book, uh, when I got hurt uh, one afternoon. I got checked pretty hard, took a puck in the face, and my dad, after he brought me home, he says, your son got hurt again. I said, and she, what, 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 in what capacity? He said, well, check him out. He got three or four stitches in his eyebrow, and his lips were all swollen. She went, son, I don't think this game is for you. <laughs> Like that. And I went, why, Mom? She says, well, there's only two black things on the ice, you and the puck. <laughs> but, uh, and I ended, up playing, I ended up playing more baseball. But uh, it was just the fact that I thought it was a, a really unique situation where she said that, I don't think this game <laughs> is for, for you, you, son. People Hockey are players so are... much more sensitive today. Oh, yeah, big time. And I, I think that's bad for our country. Way too well, much sensitivity. You know, in, in Canada... We didn't have any problem with prejudice, at least in my little hometown, because there was some, a lot of black families. And my mother's family came into Canada through the Underground Railroad. And the, my first wife, her descendants were Josiah Henson, was one of the pioneers that started Uncle Tom's Cabin. And uh, they lived in a little town called uh, Dresden, Ontario. Okay. Yeah. Now, what, was it your, your grandfather or your grandmother that came up via the Underground Railroad? Uh, it was my grandmother. Your grandma, grandma did. And their last name was Lucas. Lucas. And, and their descendants were, were Van Dykes. Oh, wow. Van Dykes and Van Dusens, and they were Dutch. Uh-huh. And I tell people all the time, I'm Dutch. <laughs> and they go, get the hell out of here. <laughs> You're not Dutch. So you, you, you played a little bit of basketball. You played in the Harlem Globetrotters. Played three seasons with them. How, how does a guy from Dresden become a Harlem Globetrotter? Well, Joe Zavino was the marketing individual with the Globetrotters. They had a downtown office in, uh, in, 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 in Chicago on Michigan Avenue. And I just got through winning 20 games uh, that, that first season in 1967. With the Cubs. With the, with the Cubs. Cubs. And he showed up with a, a $500 three-piece suit walking down the, basically the left field line. And I said to myself, and this guy's carrying a briefcase. I said, I wonder who has a paternity suit. They're going to try to get somebody. <laughs> <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's waving, waving. And Rich Nye standing beside me. I said, Rich, does he might want you, dude. <laughs> you're a carouser. <laughs> and then he says, hey, Fergie, hey, Fergie, I want to talk to you. You and negotiate. He, yeah. <laughs> so I negotiate. I go over. And he, he, uh, he basically said, I'm a representative for the Harlem Globetrotters. And I want, want to know if you're going to go back to Canada. And I said, well, yeah, I play on a 10-month visa. So I'm going back in October. And he said, well, we start touring the 17th of October in Montreal. That's our first city. Then we go to Sherbrooke, and we're working our way down to Three Rivers, all the way down through Ottawa 
in Ontario and then basically down around my hometown, Chatham. And he said, would you like to tour a couple of dozen games, make X amount of dollars? We'd like you to be the pitcher in the skit in the third quarter every night that gives up the home run ball to the Meadowlark Lemon. I said, hey, I've done that for years. I don't mind it. <laughs> now he's hitting the basketball. But uh, I, I, they had a, a session where they'd come home uh, before the season was over. I had an off day, went to work out with them, and you know, they found out I could play a little basketball. But the nice thing about it is that they, the Globetrotters, had a ball player enter their world because of the fact they were entertainers, mm-hmm. the basketball players and entertainers, and I was a ball player entering a basketball world, and it, and it was it was fun, and I, I enjoyed the, the three seasons I played with them with Meadowlark, Curly Neal, Leon Hilliard, Jackie Jackson, Nate Branch. There was so many guys. Uh, the one individual I thought was Hallie Bryant was an All American Indiana. Hallie Bryant, that name. He could have played in the NBA. Uh, Connie Hawkins played with the Globetrotters, ABA, NBA. Will Chamberlain played in the offseason mm-hmm. in Europe when he played with them. Yeah. So I consider myself pretty lucky to have an opportunity to, as Did a you ball get to player. Did play a lot? Did you I get played a- the third quarter every night, 15 minutes. Bob Gibson played in 64. There's been four or five ball players, Hall of Famers. Ernie Banks toured with them. Uh, Bob Gibson. Uh, myself, and uh, Lou Brock. But he didn't play in the game. He ran lines before the game and sat on the bench, and then they introduced him dur- dur- during the, the, at the game as it went on. Was the traveling with the, with the Globetrotters worse than it was in the majors, or was it better? It was a little different. You were like the Pied Piper showing up <laughs> to these cities. Incredible. They had a big, long bus with the Harlem Globetrotters written on it, uh, the team that we played with the Washington uh, Generals, they had their own bus. But uh, when we went into a city and pulled into a small hotel or, or in a big city, all of were taking our equipment off. And we had to take our own equipment off <laughs> and basketballs and uniforms and everything. You know, and people were going, you're with the Globetrotters? I said, yeah. Aren't you Jenkins? Yeah. Well, I'm touring with them. During the, only three months uh, out of the year, October, November, and December, and I started working out in January for getting ready for spring training. So, so you were just a natural athlete. I mean, there, I don't know if I was scratch, natural. He's a scratch golfer. He just told <laughs> right. me yes. He's an yeah, athlete. I mean, yeah. everything that you touch, I mean, it's, it, it, does it come easy to you? Well, the two sports, three sports, really. Hockey was my first sport. Uh-huh. And then basketball. Baseball was my third sport. And that's what you excel yeah, at. Yeah, right. Yeah. How, yeah. Does, how, how does a guy that throws the ball like you did, all the complete games, Hall of Famer, how did you get your first baseball? How how did you get? How did they draft you? How did they find? No, you? I I wasn't drafted. I was signed out of high school. Uh, Gene DeGira, through the advice of Jerry McCaffrey, was my English teacher uh, at this tech school at CVS. He got a hold of Gene. They went to college together in Win- in Windsor, Ontario, University of Windsor. Said that you ought to take a look at this young fella. I'm 15 years old. Um, Playing hockey in the winter, basketball, baseball only in the summer. Played about 25, 30 games at Sandlot Baseball. And I was a first baseman. Wasn't a pitcher. No, it wasn't a pitcher. I didn't start pitching until I was 16. And Gene DeJura came out to one of the hockey games and seen me playing hockey. And uh, I got into a little skirmish in one of the corners. And after the game's over, he says, why are you so violent? 
I said, as a defenseman, you got to be able to let that other team know, hey, if you're coming to score on my goalie, I'm letting you know I'm out there. Uh-huh. So he took it in a, a kind of a grain of salt, said, oh, okay, because I got a couple of roughing penalties. But the thing is, that summer, he seen me throw in infield practice at first base. And he wanted to know why haven't I tried to pitch. I said, no, we have pitchers on our team. We had Matt Cundell, Jack Howell, uh, I think Larry Myers, and Dennis Roebuck, four guys. And I said, no, I want to play first base. I want to play, I want to play all the games. And he only played 20, 25 games. Right. But then we get in the playoffs, OBA finals, I might play another 10 or 12 games at first base. But it, it kind of changed my attitude on a position. So you were fifty. How you're you're six five? Is that how tall you are? Six four, six, six four, almost six. How, how six, tall four were you? At, how big were you at fifteen? Uh, probably six three. Wow, about one hundred and forty five, one hundred fifty pounds. So he sees a six three, fifteen year old. Yeah, getting rowdy on the on the hockey hockey rink, and he's that sparks his interest enough. Well, the biggest thing is uh, he, <clears throat> from the information that Jerry McCaffrey gave him, and he had seen me play a little basketball. That you know, I was a decent athlete, and yeah. he said. He, the potential part of it, he didn't think that I could cover the, I think, the situation of being a pitcher. And I told him, I said, hey, I enjoy throwing the ball, mm-hmm. and that's all I know. So he taught me a wind-up, a shortstop, taught me how to <laughs> a wind-up and taught me how to pitch. Uh, out of a, Basically, the Philadelphia organization sent him information on basically learning how to pitch. And I, within two seasons, I'd thrown a no-hitter, a couple of good playoff games, and now I have the Tigers looking at me, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Boston, and the Chicago Cubs, but I end up signing with the Phillies. And that's fascinating, too, because if you look at today's attitude towards baseball, it's let's get the kid when he's nine years old, let's <laughs> get him on a mound as much as he can. And I think, he, you're, I think yeah. you burn him out. So, Absolutely. So when you graduated high school, You'd signed with Philadelphia already? Right, yeah. And, and so did you go straight to wherever they're – I went to class D ball. Where was that at? It was in Miami, Florida. And it was like was, the lowest rung the ladder. That was as low ladder. as you could get. Yeah, D ball. Yeah, it's the lowest rung on the ladder. Uh-huh. The Phillies had 13 minor league teams. They had, they had four D teams, a couple of B and C, one A or maybe two A's. One triple A and then big leagues. Thirteen well, teams. So were, traveling in class D, was that about like being a Harlem Globetrotter? Traveling on the bus. <laughs> yeah. So Tra- Trailways bus in Florida. How long were you in class D? I was there six weeks. Uh, yeah. when I signed, it was mid July. I didn't get a chance to, to graduate because I'd already gone signed and gone. And you were eighteen years old. Eighteen. And then the next year they went to A ball, Miami, and I spent almost two and a half, three months there. Then they gradu pushed me up to double A because I signed what they call a progressive bonus. If you stay 90 days in A ball, they give you $1,000. If you stay 90 days in double A, you get 2,500. If you stay 90 days in triple A, you get 5,000. So, so they I, made sure total. you didn't. Yeah, right. I, I was very fortunate. I, I, got, I got every bonus. So you got your bonus money. Yeah, I got and my bonus money. that was a lot money. of money. And what oh, year was yeah. this? Well, I signed in 62. So in 1963, you, yeah. you're, you're making what? I'm making four hundred dollars a month. Four hundred a month, but that was wow. a lot of money back then. Yeah, four hundred a month. Were and, you? Com- I mean, you were comfortable on four hundred dollars a month back then. No, no. <laughs> There's a few times I had to send home for money. <laughs> hey, mom, I think I need twenty, thirty dollars. I can't get a well, and, you, and you've got to ask him too. When he was what twenty one, you were playing in Nicaragua in the winter. Yeah, and I made good money playing Nicaragua. I'm making a thousand dollars a month in Nicaragua, and then AAA. Uh, I was making like like eight fifty. 
So I was you making got, more money. You stayed enough time in Nicaragua that you've got the uh, accent when you talk that way. You know way. how to pronounce <laughs> right? it. Yeah, so, right. So, Nicar- what, what, what was like down there? Nicaragua? Oh, shh. They had machine guns on the top of the dugout steps. Good-looking women, this though? Was, this was just before the revolution. They have oh good-looking women down there? Ah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> South America? Oh. What was the Especially thinking, Central America? Oh, beautiful women. What was the thinking to go down there? To, to own your craft? Well, the Phillies wanted me to get some extra playing time. And I had only got maybe 120, 130 innings in uh, that first year mm-hmm. uh, in Class D ball. So I, I got another probably 85 to 90. Uh, working on certain pitches, amount awareness. Well, uh, and, and the other thing about winter ball, I spent two winters in Mexico, is it's a whole different world. You aren't nursed along. You either produce or you go home. Yeah, wow. So it's it's a whole different world. And they're, I mean, they are balls-to-wall baseball fans, mm-hmm. and they're going to win. And so if you can produce, you're good, but it's it, it's not the coddling you get in the minor leagues. No. So, you know. so so when you're down there, they're loaning you to a team in Nicaragua. Definitely, yes. But they, Nicaragua pays you. Oh, yeah, Nicaragua pays me. So in, you're making $12,000 to be down there in, in Cordovas. They pay you pay in Cordovas. That's the money. And, and in Mexico, I think you get pesos, pesos, right? But the thing is, I was down there uh, as an, uh, what do they call it, when they, when they, when they have players that come in to play? U.S. players. A guest player. No. Um, oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the I word. I know. In, in, They're in only Mexico, allowed five players. Right. In Mexico, you'd have five American ringers. Yeah. The other 20 had to be Mexican nationals. Right. Yeah. So it was that way in Nicaragua also. Same thing. Yeah. So you're one of the winter you're ball. Just, you're come, you, they bring you down there to be a pitcher. Right. Yeah. There was, uh, I think, four or five of us. Alex Johnson uh, was sent down there. And I think Grant Jackson. Uh, and I'm not sure the other two Americans are from other ball clubs, but the thing that really helped me, and Kearney can attest to this too, when you have the affiliation pitching coach down there with you helping you, I had uh, Cal McClish was a Philadelphia coach. We had Grant Jackson. Fame, uh, big time famous yeah. coach. We had, we had uh, Dave Bennett, Rick Wise, Grant Jackson, and myself. Getting one on one, basically. Yeah, and in the 1963, of the winter of '63, he taught me a slider. Well, he showed me the grip, and wanted me to try this, try this. You know, I had, I threw it like a was well, like like a cutting pitch. In '64, it got even better. '65, I made the big leagues. So and took- and down down there, the the winter leagues were like a strong double A league as far as talent. Oh, really? So it wasn't it wasn't just like a beer league or no, something. No. It was serious, serious baseball. Serious yeah. baseball. Well, the the second year I was down there, uh, Roberto Clemente played for San Juan, uh, and uh, Orlando Cepeda played for uh, for uh, Santurzi. They had Perez, Gonzalez, a lot of big Latin stars. Uh, Louis Tiant. That was that was guys that played well, the in Latin, the big leagues. The Latin stars. You played winter ball. Make money. Down there to play money, up to make money. But you also played because you were a national. They mm-hmm. expected you to play. Yeah. Right. And they had machine guns on the dugouts. This was in Nicaragua. Right. This was just before the revolution in, in, in the winter of, How, of 63. How's a pitcher supposed to get ready under those circumstances? Oh, man. It, it kind Quickly. Of t- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's 17 and 18-year-olds, as old as I am, yeah. with these... Russian machine guns. Yeah. At, when the inning's over, they stood on top of the dugout. When the game started, they, they'd sit in the stands. 
when the inning's over, they get back up on top. You know, they were just afraid of something going on. Well, nothing going to happen with that shit going on. No, really. But Well, uh, well, and, was, and, and tell them how the guards at the bank. Oh, uh, you, I know when, when you'd go home, a lot of times you'd walk back, because I was in Nicanor, I stayed at downtown yeah. Managua Hotel. When you'd walk through town, either at the post office or the bank, an official building, these young kids were 16, 17, sitting on machetes. The guards. And there were four or five of them at each location. And they were just kids with these machetes are about, about a good 18, 19 inches long Whoa. with a handle. And they got them wrapped up in newspaper underneath their legs. And they were the guards. And that was the guard. Yeah. The bank. So yeah. are you give, are you, do, do, does somebody from the organization like sit you down like, okay, now listen, you're going here and you need to understand a few things. Oh, yeah. Like they gave me a bit of a warning. I don't know that I could do that, even with a warning. <laughs> but no, they they let me know this was the situation, right. and I couldn't speak any Spanish. Right, I'm 18 years old. Are that you winter I was going to be a translator 19. or a handler no, or anything. Just... I, I I had a roommate that was 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 Latin. Okay, uh, he played with the Washington organization. Uh, I learned a few Latin words. Uh, the first couple of weeks was a little tough trying to order food. I bet, yeah. <laughs> well, I, was... always, I always waited for him to get up. He got up at noon all the time. This guy's like, I'm, I'm 18. Yeah. He's like 26, 27. He, hey, he slept all day. <laughs> he got up at noon to go to the ballpark, and I'm up at 8 o'clock. I want right. to get some breakfast. You want to eat. <laughs> some yeah. huevos. Yeah. yeah. And I know poquito something. Spanish. <laughs> so what did, uh, when, you, when you get to Philly and you make the big leagues. Right. Did you did you go, did you break spring, did you did you get called up and make the big leagues in the fall in the like September October or did yeah. you wait till I was a, I was a September call up you was a September call up was that a whole life changing deal for you Oh yeah big time uh, Frank Casey at the time was the manager he since passed away he lived in Colleyville uh, right now in, in Texas uh, he gave the information of about five guys that are coming up Billy Sorrell Alex Johnson Adolfo Phillips Grant Jackson and Fergie Jenkins. And uh, he said, hey, you got to report to Philadelphia. We'd like you there the next day. Got a plane ticket. Well, all of us showed up at the airport there. And, Are you leaving Little Rock? A? Did you go from double A went, to? No, maybe? Little Rock. I so triple A. Triple A. Left from Little Rock, maybe early that morning, Philadelphia. And I get there, stayed at the Sheraton Hotel on, on Walnut Street, downtown Philadelphia. Uh, didn't have a vehicle, so we had to wait for whoever had a vehicle or the bus to come pick us up at the hotel, go to Connie Mack Stadium. That's that, what I appreciate so much about baseball, and I'm not a, a, a diehard baseball fan, but you guys cut your teeth. It, it's not like, like you – there were so many different steps that you had to get before you got to go to the show. Oh, yeah. I, the biggest thing is I, I at one time said, I got to jump – 12 organizations. Right. 12 right. teams. Because they they send you, if you do well in, in, in Miami, they might send you to Bakersfield, California, mm -hmm. or they might send you to Spartansburg. Uh, and double A was, was Chattanooga. And I was very fortunate. I went from I went from D-ball to A, which was back in Miami again. Mm -hmm. Didn't stay there that long. Then they shoved me to Chattanooga, where uh, Andy Semenik, my former manager uh, with D-ball, so I knew him. He knew me. So I went to Double A, and I only stayed there. Oh, geez, a matter of uh, almost the end of the season. Then they gave me a, a, an opportunity to go to Triple A, which was Buffalo at the time. So I jumped around that one that one year. Then the next year, I went to Big League Camp. I started off in Little Rock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they sent me back to Double A for for about two weeks, back to Little Rock, 
And then the, the season's over. And in 65, I started off in Little Rock. Uh, they didn't like players of color there. There was right. there was uh, four players of color. It was uh, the 64, excuse me, Dick Allen, uh, Richard Quito, Marceline Lopez, and Fergie Jenkins. And then in 65, when I went there, we had Don Perkins, Alex Johnson, Adolfo Phillips. That was a half a dozen guys of color. And we played there just briefly. You Please. remember? Do you remember that old stadium? The Travelers, they were called, weren't they? The Arkansas Travelers. We played in the... Uh, in the fairgrounds. And, well, I, I remember the the double-A stadium backed up to the expressway in right field. So if you hit it over the fence in right field, it bounced <laughs> on the expressway. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so you, you went to, when you were in Buffalo, that was close to home then. Yeah. My parents came up there to watch me. The old War Memorial Stadium. And, th- and then so you get to Philadelphia. You get there in September to call up. Did you get in the first game you were at? or did... uh, No. Uh, it was like the third game. Uh, we're playing the Cardinals. And Jim Bunning is matched with Bob Gibson. And they took him out uh, six and two-thirds, and I pitched right through the, to the 10th, and I beat Bob Gibson in relief. That's first, a hell of a My deal first right there. win, for my dad right after the game. Uh, you know, I'm 21 years old. I'm happy <laughs> that I, I won my first, first major league ball game. First game I pitched in, I won the ball game. So you played against Lou Brock? Brock, Flood, yeah. all these guys were there. Uh, uh, McCarver, uh, I think Shannon was there at the time. Ken Boyer was on that team, but he didn't play. But uh, uh, I'm trying to, I couldn't think of who the other outfielders were. But because uh, Shannon played left field, Floods in center, Brock's in right. Uh, first base, Bill White was, a, was, their, was their first base. Did, uh, did you talk to who, who was you pitching against? I've lost it. Cardinals. Yeah, no, no. Who's the pitcher that you beat? Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. Yeah. Did no, he talk- didn't. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't speak to anybody. <laughs> no, he didn't talk to me for sure because I'm just a rookie. <laughs> did he speak to you after that much? Or no, seen- I didn't get a chance to talk to Bob Gibson for like two years after that. He didn't. He didn't fraternize with players. Not at all. And not of his own. Not of his own hitters. But he would. He take ground balls at third base uh, on the third base side as where where the, the visiting team came out, and you'd run out there and say, "Hey, Gibby, how you doing?" Yeah, all right. See you later. He didn't, he didn't talk. Not to much of a conversation. No. Uh-huh. Well, and 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 you didn't mess with Gibson because he was a Golden Glove boxer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Gibby was not now. one. If he wanted you to go away, you went away. <laughs> so how much, how much of American politics had you heard about? Uh, being from Canada, did you know that you were coming into the civil rights era? In, oh yeah. In, so you knew coming. Oh yeah, in, you were definitely. Shit. Well, Freddie Mason was was a was a, a traveling uh, player. With, with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and he had kind of tell told us basically this is where you do, this is what you don't do, things like that. So he said you can't go to Miami Beach, players of color, and if you want to eat late, you got to go to the Trailway stations. There wasn't many places you could eat. So Miami there weren't even Beach. many places to eat anyway. We so. we, ate, we stayed at the place called the Sir John Hotel, and they had a place called the Sir John Nightbeat, and they would leave the or get a cooperation to keep the kitchen open. Our game started at 7.05, and we played the old Miami Stadium. By the time we got there, we, most of us traveled on the bus, so we'd catch a, a bus to take us right down back to the hotel. It was, might be 11.30, and we'd hope that the kitchen stayed open so we'd get something to eat. I, I read a book about, it was a Secret Service book, about seven presidents. One guy was a Secret Service agent from John F., before John F. Kennedy up until... 
Reagan or Clinton or somewhere, and he was talking about that. It, it, it was in Dallas when Kennedy got shot, but he said we stayed in Fort Worth because Kennedy was in Fort Worth where he was in Dallas that night, and he said, you know, at dark, there's nowhere to eat. There wasn't water burgers, or wasn't IHOPs, or wasn't restaurants no. open twenty four hours a day back then. Fast foods, yeah, they yeah. weren't open. Cafes right. closed at six, seven, eight o'clock at night, and you were done. That was it That's until it. the next morning. Really, you know, so, I, same situation in, in in Miami. Even though it was a twenty four hour city, right. there's only so many places you could go. And we stayed what they call Little Cuba, mm-hmm. was which was basically a Latin black neighborhood, and you might get the odd restaurant to stay open late, but very seldom. So you knew kind of what was going on in America at the time. You weren't oh, just yeah. thrust into the situation like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what the shit? Is, what's going on down yeah, here? I, I knew. I was kind of prepared for what was going to be the situation. But when you're there yeah. and it actually happens to you, you're going, damn. <laughs> Where did your first year, how many games you win your first full season? Six. Your first full no, season? No, no. Uh, my first six weeks, I won six games. First full season, I won uh, – 18. So you were a starter. And when did Philadelphia trade you to Chicago? In uh, 1966. Why'd they trade you? Uh, I'm not even sure. Because they, they wanted a, a center fielder. They wanted Adolfo Phillips. And they, they wanted John Hernstein because he'd really played well day baseball. Ernie Banks is 38 years old, or 37, 38. So they needed a first baseman. And I was a pitcher. And they had seen me uh, pitch, uh, no doubt, in the Meyer Leagues. So when they made the deal was Larry Jackson and Bob Buell for Phillips, Hernstein, and Jenkins. Five-player deal. So you got to play with Ernie Banks? I room with him the last three years he played. What was yeah. he like? Great great gentleman. Mr. Never, Cub. Never, never talked about himself. Always about baseball, about improving the team. Just about uh, you're now a Chicago Cub. Really react to the fact that you're playing in one of the best cities in America, Chicago, and for the best team. The White Sox were there, too, but right. they were always – Supposedly, the American League was a second, second-class team, but the Cubs were always number one. And Ernie Banks is one of the most well-liked athletes in Chicago. History. He was one of the first players of color to play with the with the Chicago and they loved team. Him. Yeah, they loved him, and we were in last place. We we were picked out of ten teams. We were picked to be eighth. But we end up being tenth. <laughs> so and it, it took a while for us to get out of the out of, out of the cellar. We were better in '67, much better in '68, and we were picked to win the series or the basically your, your division in '69. But we got overtaken by the Mets. So Ernie Banks was thought of as probably outside of Michael Jordan and maybe Walter Payton, the greatest yeah. guy to ever come out of Chicago to play professional sports right. in Chicago. Yeah, he played with the Negro League with the with the Kansas City Monarchs at seventeen eighteen, and and got to, his contract got bought by the Cubs and ended up being Mr. Cub. Well, and the interesting thing is, there's only one bronze statue in front of Cub Stadium. Yep, and that's Ernie Banks and Ron Sano and Billy Williams are on Sheffield on the back end of the stadium with Harry Carey. And now they're going to unveil a statue of me uh, May 20th. That's awesome. I saw that on your of this year. Yeah. Been, uh, how long has that process taken them? It, it, it's been in probably in the process maybe um, about a year. Okay. Have and you I, been to Chicago lately? I've been there a couple of times to see the statue, and it's it's basically done. That's a, They're having a lot of trouble around Wrigleyville, don't they now? Uh, the construction part of it's... It, they they put new things here there there, they they put a new marquee up again. The crime's not real bad right there like it is on the south side. Not really, no, not on not on the north side. It's completely changed now with all the hotels they have around there and new establishments. But they're going to erect 
supposedly all four of the statues in a park off Clark Street. That'd be awesome. You know, it's weird, too, because the first time i ever seen Wrigley Field, I'm just like driving down a neighborhood and like, oh, damn, there's a baseball field there. Yeah, that's it. Same is, with like Fenway. Is the cubby hole still there? Oh, yeah. They got, a, they, they got uh, three or four popular restaurants still there. But the nice thing about it, they got Bernie's and they got Murphy's, which are basically bar grills. People love to go there. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, there's two of them on, on Addison, too. I can't think of the names of them. But it's really, really a fun city. Me and my wife went to uh, Fenway and went to a game two falls ago. And it was a bucket list to go to Fenway to a game and stuff, which I love Fenway Park. Now, you played with the Red Sox, right? Played two years with them. Yeah. Did you like living there? Oh, I, I, loved, I, I lived in Quincy one year and Stoughton the next year. And I really enjoyed playing. It's a small ballpark. It's like almost like Wrigley Field. You get used to playing and understanding this is a small yard. You can't afford to make mistakes. So that's it right there. That's, that's, the, your, that's, yeah, that's your the statue. Yeah, it's a statue. right yeah. there. And it's taken about a year to do all. What is that? That's just clay right there. That it's clay. There. That's it. the clay mold, clay mold, and that's the that's the the Sports Illustrated cover. Oh, okay. That's behind it, and that's kind of what. Well, oh, that's a, that's a the, the on the other side uh -huh. to the to the right. That's the the Sports Illustrated cover. So, do they bring you up there just to kind of look at it? Look and at it. They took some more photographs of uh -huh. me bending over. What would the back of the the uniform look like? Oh, okay. uh, so. Basically, that was the front side of it, uh -huh. but I'm throwing a change up right there. What's, tell, tell me what that glow in the bottom of the uh, picture is. It's your bald head. <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> it's me looking at the, at the photo, right? Now, <laughs> at a photo. I, I, I want to ask you about another Chicago icon. Yeah. Harry Carey. Was he, did, did he drink during all the games? Oh, uh, yeah, they called him the Bud Man for yes, a reason. That's right. <laughs> he couldn't pronounce names after the sixth <laughs> inning. He, he, he was slurring words. Oh, he was incredible. <laughs> yeah. He had a tough time. You know, he, your, your own team, he couldn't pronounce Ryan Sandberg. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Sandberg. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you know, going back to Boston, Fenway was my favorite park as far as the epitome of baseball. Yeah. You know, the small ballpark. Uh, the nostalgia there, and being in the bullpen, it was a whole different situation than it was in the dugout. In the bullpen, you were right up into into right field. You were you were part of the stands, and it wasn't unusual on a Sunday afternoon to have you have the fans back there offering you joints through the fence and such. <laughs> and and over there, they always had the rowdy crew in right field, and they hired the Boston College linemen as the ushers and they were called the blue coats because they had a blue blazer on and there was always a fight uh -huh. sunday afternoon saturday afternoon in the stands in right field and the blue coats would go in there grabbing people and just throwing them out of the way to get to the fights the fights did not last long when the blue coats showed up <laughs> boston's a cool town and what, what i what i thought was really neat about boston is when you go to a red sox game it reminds me of friday night high school football in texas as close to that kind of atmosphere as I've ever seen with a baseball. I've never seen that at a Ranger game. And I was at a Ranger game the one that when they went, clinched the first playoff game. Well, Texas Ranger style, it was because they lost. But yeah. California lost that night too. But but the, the Red Sox games remind me of 
high school football Friday night in Texas. Well, yeah, it's in a neighborhood similar yeah. to Wrigley Field. Yeah. And there's just so much there. It's got a, a, an energy to it, unlike any other pro baseball team place right. I've ever been. The thing about Boston, too, was, was like the Rangers, the old Rangers stadium. If the opposition made a good play in New York, they'd boo you and throw shit at you. In Boston, they would give you a standing ovation if the opposition made a good play. Really? That's a cool. So there was an yeah. appreciation for there the visiting was. team that there yeah. wasn't. There was an appreciation of the game. Just good baseball. Yep. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I think they're knowledgeable. I think the, the number one thing is fans are really knowledgeable in certain cities. They were knowledgeable in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew the game. They but, the heart of fans. Still? They, were, they were tough. If you didn't play well, yeah, they let you know. Phil, Philly was tough. My first game in Philly, we're up. We're down by two runs. And ninth inning – Schmidt's up, guy on second. He drives a ball that hit four inches below the top of the fence in left center field, and they boo him because they didn't go out. Didn't go out of the park. <laughs> it was like he figured, oh, my Lord, what have I gotten into? And then I get into my first game after rehabbing my destroyed elbow, pitched one inning, gave up seven. <laughs> Not a good intro. I, I was loved in Philly. <laughs> They had uh, damn good Philly cheesesteaks there. Yeah, that was one good thing to me. The biggest thing in Philly was a restaurant called a Bookbinder. Bookbinder, yeah, right. Oh, right downtown. Yeah. 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 Excellent. So who, who's your hardest out, Fergie? Probably, i say Roberto Clemente, number 21 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. The second tough out, probably Willie McCovey with the Giants. And then you could put Pete Rose in there and what put names? Rod Carew. <laughs> what, what, what names, though? I mean, you're talking yeah. about. These guys are hitters. The best. Is, yeah. is Clemente in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Yeah. But he, and he died in a tragic plane crash, plane crash in the middle of his prime, in right? 72. Yeah, he was 37 years old. And yeah. has exactly 3,000 hits. His last home run? You he, gave it up to him? He hit it off me. Hit the, <laughs> almost hit the foul pole, left field and Wrigley Field. But, I mean, what a great ball player. I mean, he did everything well, and he, he was basically a silent leader on that Pittsburgh ball club. He didn't say much, but he did all his performances. That was the number one item. That and an Peter, unbelievable Peter, gun in oh, right he had field. A great, he had a great arm. I mean, he was a 5 2 player. Hit for average, hit for, <clears throat> hit for home runs, for power, could steal bases, had a great arm, and a great attitude. You know, uh, I didn't think about that until now, but – Steel, the, 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 the Pirates won the World Series in 76, right? Was that when mm. Willie Stargell and them were there? Yeah, yeah that was We the, Are Family. That's We Are Family. Yeah, yeah, that was in 76, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Clemente would have been part of that. Yeah. Or he probably would have retired by then, wouldn't he have? Mm. He was getting down at his age. Yeah, he probably. What but year was that again? Was 76 is the year they won? No, no 71, no. 79. Yeah, because he died 72. 79. Okay, 79 is when they won the series. Yeah. And the we Are Family, right? Yeah, it was Willie Stargell. Yeah. And, and it was Shengian and a few other guys. See, uh, he, he was MVP of 1970, I think, when they beat Baltimore. I can look it up. Look it up. I'm not sure. Pretty sure. But what a list. Willie McCovey. I mean, that's just – that's guys were, guys were dangerous. I mean, they were really good hitters. Well, you're so, 79 years old, too, so it was right. a long time ago when yeah, you played. Right. But, I mean, yeah. that's, that's talking about laps in history. Mm-hmm. You know, great players. You know, like when Kern was talking about he struck out um, Hank Aaron. <laughs> I'd, I'd have that tattooed on my fucking forehead. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Hank Aaron was a tough out. I, I pitched 11 seasons against him, only gave up two home runs to him. 
you know, which is well, funny. well, to me, if I <laughs> if if I had something tattooed uh, from Henry, it would be when he fooled me in spring training and stood on first and went like this. <laughs> I mean, to me, that was bigger than yeah. striking him out. Yeah. It's just being had. He was yeah. most valuable player in '66. Roberto Clemente. Yeah, '66. So '66. So. He'd, he'd had to play a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, did you ever take any of the joints that were that were offered to you? Because marijuana is it still illegal in baseball? Not during the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you look at that, and I mean, you've had your elbow redone. You've had what all surgeries have you had? I've had two brand new knees. Two brand new knees. Six what years about ago. your shoulders? No, my shoulders are good. You I never had arm problems was, at all. I can't throw anymore. I've, I've, I've got what they call a, a, a locked shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it, I can't lift it any higher. But than you that. never had to have when you were playing. You never. I had never had a problems. sore arm. Never had a sore arm. I'll, I'll tell you one of his best surgery stories is one from his wife. <laughs> Fergie gets a vasectomy. Okay. Uh-oh. And I'm talking to his wife, and she says, "What do you think, Star Sunkissed?" And I thought, "Sunkiss? Why are you calling Fergie Sunkiss?" I said, "What's this shit all about?" He said, "She said he had a vasectomy." All juice, no seeds. Sunkiss. <laughs> Has Kern ever embarrassed you? Oh, uh, a few times. A few times. <laughs> Tell him the story about you taking him to dinner. That is a great well, story. Well, no, right. we, we, we had him over the, the first year in Texas, uh, 70, 79. Yeah. Uh, you know, met Fergie. We really got along, and, and we're renting a house, and I've got my two sons with us, and Fergie's got a couple daughters, and so I invite Fergie and his wife over, and it's middle of the summer, July, you know, we're in the backyard, and I've got the barbecue going, you know, and we get everything ready, and not thinking about it, I serve ribs and watermelon. <laughs> Those are good things to eat. Oh, my <laughs> Lord, and afterwards, my wife says, do you realize what you did? And I said, yeah, I invited Fergie and his wife over. You realize what you ate? I said, yeah, we had some good ribs. She said, and watermelon. I went, oh, shit. I bet it didn't offend you at all, did it? No, it didn't offend It's good. Because we're both Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> Wife and I. We thought nothing of it. But can you imagine you get offended by having food given to you that's good? No, nah, not a bit. Not a bit. I, I'm a, especially I, when there's no malice. Like, it's just, yeah, right. let's have a good meal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and I, I knew Kearney uh, on, a, on a player situation, you know, Everybody's going to dig each other from right. time to time. Right. And I didn't think anything of it. And, and the wife said, you know, when we're going home, we have what? I said, did you like it? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, what's the problem? Do you, do you think players today are too damn sensitive about shit? Oh, I know they are. It's ridiculous oh. the way they are. They live, the, and, and, and you guys are ex-baseball players, and y'all were very blessed. But these guys today are very, very blessed on what they make and Financially. stuff. Aww. And they can't even have a good time in the locker room like you guys did. The stuff y'all did in the locker room, someone would get their feelings hurt, and it'd be on the media, and they'd want something done all the time. Yeah. And I just – they are ruining the way that they get they – they, they've made it so hard on themselves because they do not know how to relax and have fun. Right. You know, our locker room was half the size of this room for 25 wow. guys in Wrigley Field. And the football team in the winter months played in Wrigley Field. The Bears, the did. Bears played, and they had to dress fifty-three players in that in that in room. That so they in that locker room, and so I know they had to dress in shifts <laughs> because it was it was tough for twenty-five guys and four or five coaches. Yeah. So I know it was tough for them. Did you but, know Gail Sayers then? Oh yeah, I knew Gail and and uh, quite a few of the other guys. I mean, there was so many guys uh, that you got a chance to rub shoulders with. 
in, in the off season. We do the banquets and things like that. But other than that, uh, well, the, back the, in our time frame too, a lot of the guys hunted and fished. They yeah. loved it. Fergie was huge growing up, duck hunting, geese hunting. He had bird dogs. I mean, and so we interfaced that way a lot with the hunting and fishing, <clears throat> which they don't do now. So we spent a lot of time off season. You know, I've had Piglet out here, Fergie, Witter, some of the guys, and we just spent a lot of a lot of time together. Right. See, we had the same type of uh, wants, and 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 we understood that this is something that we enjoy doing, mm-hmm. and we just collectively got together. Well, I think that that made the camaraderie a lot easier, and the clubhouses were smaller. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about it, guys fraternize. We went out to eat together. Right. You know, you get four or five guys, maybe ten guys. Let them know about this great restaurant. Let's go there. Rana Japan, that was a restaurant that Kearney and I used to always go to. As soon as we got to Chicago, we had Medich. We'd have... Uh, uh, Matt Rack. Matt, Matt Lack. <laughs> you know Matt Lack? <laughs> I don't think Sunberg went with it. But there was mostly pitchers right. would go, and we'd eat at, the, at uh, Ron at Japan's. And I knew the owner. And the nice thing about it, and Kearney mentioned it one time, we stayed there. We're, we're, and closing time's like 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me and he says, Hey, Fergie, I give you plum wine if you leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, right. But the nice thing about it, there was always a restaurant that we fraternized. And, right. and guys, certain guys always got together. So we're, we'll probably piss some people off in Chicago when I ask this, but who's, which place has best pizza, Giordano's or Malnati's? Ooh, probably Giordano's. You like Giordano's yeah. better? And they have Uno, Uno Pizza Place, too. I didn't go there. Uno's is right down on, on Ontario Street. What about Regina's sure. in Boston? Have you nope, had that? Never, never eaten there, no. Nope. You know, one, one thing about Fergie is he was so famous in Chicago from his years there with <clears throat> Texas. One day we're playing in Chicago, White Sox, of course, and Fergie says, I'm going down, get a haircut. You want to come along? So I said, sure, I'll come along. Well, we go into a part of Chicago I would have never gone by myself. And as Fergie walks down. You're the only white man there. Yes. (laughs) As we're walking down the street, everybody, "Ah, Fergie, ah." everybody knows Fergie. Everybody knows Fergie. It's on 71st Street. Yeah. It's in the black neighborhood. And and I'm invisible, okay? (laughs) I'm totally invisible as if I'm not there. And we walk into this guy to get a haircut, and he says, Fergie, great, sit down over here. And they're all clustered around Fergie, and I'm kind of laying back here trying to be invisible. And this guy had to be 6'8", 300 pounds, walked up to me and says, You want a haircut? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> didn't care what I walked, what I looked like. I just wanted to walk out of there alive. You didn't get many haircuts back then either. Oh, no. And <laughs> we, we walk out, we walk down the street. I buy a set of dominoes. Mm. And I burnt my fingers when I picked them up. <laughs> I mean, my Lord. And I was just, I was sticking in Fergie's back pocket. <laughs> I was not going to get separated from Fergie. So what is that <laughs> it like? It was awesome. What is that like going from Chicago, where baseball is a major sport and you're recognized everywhere, to going to, to Texas, where, you know, the Rangers aren't as big of a draw and you're having to reestablish yourself? You know what really helped us was Billy Martin. Really, he was the manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got the he got the job in that '74 season. Andy don't know much about Billy Martin's past. I don't think, do you? Uh, no. Billy Martin was a was a was a manager. The first year he'd go with either Minnesota, Detroit, uh, in the Yankees, he always won big. And then the controversial started 
about this, this, and this. So Billy Martin was the kind of manager that gave you the ball, and he expect you to do your job. Okay. Uh, as a hitter, he expect you to hit, do your job, play the outfield, infield, whatever. Controversy Billy, was everywhere he was yeah, at. But Billy Martin was a player manager, a player manager. And the owner of the team at the time was uh, – I don't know if it was Brad, Short or Corbett. I think it was, was Corbett. Brad, Brad Corbett was the owner of the team. You and, brought Brad up here deer hunting once, didn't yeah. you? Uh, Brad's son. Okay. But, I mean, it was just the fact that people really enjoyed watching the Rangers play – uh, that year I won 25 games. Mm-hmm. Mike Hargrove was a rookie of the year. Jeff Burroughs was MVP. Billy Martin was manager of the year. Out of all the awards, we won four major awards in baseball, and it really collected everybody at one point. Now we're Ranger fans. What's oh, going right. to happen that next year? Right. You know, and, and Sunberg was the number one catcher. I mean, there was just all of a sudden everything really clicked. And this says here he assaulted Jim Brewer. Yeah, at one time, also a long time ago. Well, well, Billy Martin, you got to look at Billy. Billy was five foot ten. Yeah. Give him two beers. He's six foot seven. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. Yeah. You did not go out drinking with Billy Martin because you were going to be in a fight. Didn't yeah. he punch George Steinbrenner? I uh, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm not sure. Steinbrenner owned the Yankees. Right. Yeah. Well, I know right. who Steinbrenner is from Seinfeld. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He, he hired and fired him five different yes. times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he everywhere he went, but he won all the time. Yeah. He won that series with Reggie Jackson at the three home runs. He yes. punched and a him reporter. and Reggie. Him and Reggie didn't like each other. Well, he did it. He he punched the traveling secretary. We're at thirty thousand feet oh on the plane. Gee. <laughs> and, and all so, of a sudden, the captain comes on. Fellas, you're going to have to sit down back there because <laughs> the stewardess went and told the captain, "There's a fight back in the back. He's tra- he's fighting with a traveling secretary, Billy Martin." <laughs> so, uh, but but you guys, you rallied around uh, around Billy Martin. Billy you, Martin you felt he, like he had your back. He did. I mean, he was a player manager. If he didn't like you, he he was in your face, right? And so I think that was the Brewer thing. He got into, and he was a few guys that he got in their faces because he lets you know, hey, he hated shortcomings, mm-hmm. and if you blame somebody else. Huh. He was on you. Why was Reggie Jackson not liked more by other people, by the other players? Well, we was not in Reggie's vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, he, he was just, he was a one-player player for himself. And the, the funny thing happened, it was in Fenway Park. We're playing the Yankees. He went out to, to right field, didn't take sunglasses, high fly ball fell in, and Reggie didn't know where it was. Two batters later, another ball fell falls in. He went out there, took Reggie Jackson out, and replaced him with Paul Blair on the field. And in the dugout, they're nose-to-nose. And Yogi Berra is on the – he's a he coach, coach at the time. Yeah. And he got in between Reggie and and, uh, and and Billy Martin because I thought – sitting on the, the – the benches are not that far away. I thought for sure there was going to be a fight in the dugout. So wow. if, if Reggie Jackson would have been more of a team player – he didn't know tell him what he'd done, but he was all about himself all the time. Yeah, him and Thurman Munson didn't get along, and, and Greg Nettles. So there were certain guys that were part of the Yankees before Reggie got there. And now it's all of a sudden it's Reggie's show. He, he had that, that saying, uh, I'm the, the stick that stirs the drink or something. Yeah, right. Mr. Yeah. Mr. October, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. So, so Thurman Munson got killed right. in a plane crash. What, Jim, we asked about Pudge and um, Johnny Bench. Was Thurman Munson at that, that level of a catcher? Thur- Thurman was, uh, again, th- for, as a catcher, Thurman was a little guy. Thurman didn't have a great arm, but he had an unbelievable release to second. He threw a lot of people out. Thurman at, say, 5'10", 180 pounds, 
would stand five foot up the third base line and challenge you to run over his ass Please to get the home fashion. plate. Yeah. Yes, he was, and he he was the leader of the team, and he was like Yogi, Yogi Bear. He was a bad ball hitter. The best place of his pitch, Thurman, was right down the middle of the plate because he might miss it. Like Yogi, you throw a pitch over his head and he'll dub it off the right field wall. But he was just the type that everybody rallied behind, everybody respected. He was a quiet leader, but he was definitely the leader of that club. Very well liked. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and a good hitter. Now, yeah. question for you. Were you at the game when Jim Rice saved the little girl's life? No, I wasn't there. No. I was there when Doc Medich saved two individuals, with the, one in Baltimore and one in Texas. A guy was choking on his saliva, whatever he was, he swallowed, saved his life in Baltimore. The next trip into Baltimore, they... they Presented him with a with a saver award. Is that why y'all called him Doc? Yeah. Well, he he was studying to be a, a doctor. Okay. Yeah. Now, and Jim, in another situation, a young girl had gotten hit with a fall ball in the stands, and supposedly, you know, her heart stopped, and he went over there and performed uh, uh, like C- CPR and saved her life. Now, Jim Rice, he a girl got hit, and he went and got her and took her, and they took her to the hospital and saved her life. And I can't remember the story. I just read about it just recently. Yeah, yeah probably. I'm not sure. I might not have been. Because I was only two years with the ball, Boston team, so 76 and 77. Tell me, uh, one of my favorite people, tell me about Bernie Carbo. <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> well, look, Dennis, what story do you want to hear? <laughs> well, tell, tell him the story about bringing the purple ape on the plane with him. Oh, see, Bernie was uh, an individual that did some strange things. And he, he had gotten, uh, had a birthday gift. Somebody gave him a, 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 a gorilla. He called it, jeez, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of the name. But he had a name for the gorilla. And he took him on a road trip. And Don Zimmer at the time didn't want this gorilla on the plane. The manager. And, yeah. And Bernie says, hey. Are we get the live? It's a live gorilla? No, no it's no, no, a it's statue? No. Stuffed. Stuffed. Okay. And it's our mascot. He okay. called it the mascot. And, and he even paid for the seat for it. Yeah, because a lot of times we fly commercial. Right. So he paid for the seat. Uh, they gave him a hard time. But Bernie was the kind of individual that if it was off the wall, he did it. He was, he was all about Don it. Don Zimmer had a dress code. On the plane, going on the first road trip, you had to wear a coat and tie. Mm-hmm. Bill Lee and Bernie went out and bought... Members' jackets <laughs> yeah. with golf shirts. <laughs> I mean, it's just they were just two guys that were a little different. Yeah, but in in one sense, they were like two peas in a pod. <laughs> how do you get? How does a manager? And I think about this today. You've got all these different personalities. These guys are at the top of their game. They are the best in the world at what they do. How in the hell do you manage that many personalities and get them to kind of coalesce and? and you know, you want them to kind of do that shit on the plane, and you yeah. want them to kind of toe the line. But at the same time, like, there are rules, and we're going to run it this way. I just can't imagine taking a bunch of you knuckleheads that are just <laughs> athletic freaks and the best at what you do, and you know you're the best at what you do, yeah. and get them to kind of toe the line. It all probably starts in spring training with some of the coaches. Uh the manager really depends on, on a lot of the coaches for advice a lot of times. But when you think about winning as a unit, mm-hmm. a lot of times out of 25 guys, only maybe 10 or 11 guys play. Right. So the other 10 or 12 other guys really, really don't mean much 
but in certain situations to use them as a pinch runner, pinch hitter, or if somebody gets hurt, now they're in the, they're back, they're in the starting lineup. But the nice thing about it, the camaraderie all starts in spring training. Right. Uh, with trades, new people on the ball club. And if you don't learn how to get together or play together, it's going to be a bad season because you're together almost eight months of the season. Yeah, you're, you're, Eight Shit. months. Yeah, well, and, and, and back in our time, it was very simple. They asked three things. Show up on time, give 100% while you're there, and don't embarrass the ball club. Yeah. That's all they ask on our time frame of us. And the managers that let people be themselves ran the best. The people right. that tried to really put everybody in a box like Zimmer and such – there was a lot of opposition to it. The, the Yankees fought like hell. Yeah. But they won. Yeah. Was Zimmer, uh, he was in baseball his whole life, wasn't he? Yeah. He originally signed with the Cubs and played with the Dodgers, quite a few teams. But, I mean, he knew the game. I think he was a better coach than he was a manager. Uh, I only got in trouble with him one time. Uh, it was in 1977. Uh, uh, tell me, uh, and, tell me, does he look like a buffalo head? <laughs> No. But Don Zimmer was. <laughs> really? See, what, what had happened, I got hurt in, in 76. I had an Achilles uh, tear Oof. in oh, Fenway shit. Park. They took me off the field. Uh, hurt September the 1st. I'm winning the ball game 4 to nothing. And then you, in the fifth inning. You came in for a ground ball and stopped, didn't you? I came in for a ground ball, and it went past me. So Cecil Cooper's playing first. I went to first base to cover. He throws me the ball, and boom, it split. You that knew was right it. away. Oh, Gone. My my leg was gone. My right leg. It's the most. So, I've had. I've tore both mine. It it's horrible. Oh, it's a terrible situation. I'm on the field, laying down with my uniform on. They, an ambulance comes. They pick me up and with a gurney, put me in the ambulance, and and go to some local clinic. And by the time we get there, we're in a traffic jam. How old are you at the time? I'm 33. Okay. And what happened? We're in the traffic jam, and. My leg is starting to jump now. The, 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 one of the technicians that's in, in the back of the ambulance, he tapes my, or straps my leg down. And it's, it's throbbing pretty hard. Right. And I said, you don't want to see a grown man cry. I need a shot. I'm hurting here. And I'm starting to sweat. Yeah. I mean, sweat, sweat, sweat. And I, my, my hat's off. I'm in the uniform. And it's dirty. I'd laid, I, when I rolled on the ground, Fenway Park has dirt. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really have good soil. It's dirt. So my uniform's dirty. I get to the, to the clinic, and they want to x-ray my leg before they do anything. So this little technician, she's a little guy, a little woman, tries to pick me up, put me on this table to x-ray my leg. They do a four or five different shots of my leg. I'm sitting in a wheelchair waiting for the doctor to show up so I can basically get a shot to make my body stop hurting. Right. right. She, she says, Mr. Jenkins, I think we have to do some more x-rays. Oh, shit. And I went, what? I said, I, I, there's no way I can get up there. So she makes a phone call. This big Haitian guy comes out, mm. picks me up. <laughs> I mean, he, he was like 6'4", 300 pounds, picks me up, puts me on the table. We do some more x-rays. Uh, and doctor comes in after they're done, gives me, puts a, a needle in my arm. Oh, the pain went away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm, I'm in the hospital room. The next day, 7 in the morning, I have a spinal, boom. I get a brand-new Achilles. They, they stapled it, okay? I come, I come back in the 77 season. 
uh, I was the first player to wear running shoes on the field in spring training. Not, and then not, the, uh, spikes. not spikes. Workout, I was the opening day pitcher uh, against Cleveland, in fact, uh, that following year in 77. So now it's the 77 season. And we're all we're playing pretty good baseball. Okay. I had had a Playboy subscription that whole year in, in 76. Mm-hmm. When I left the team, they had... In September, we had September, October, November, December, January, all the way. And all those subscriptions were sent to Boston, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you're probably you're going to get the story. Now it's spring training. Uh-huh. All that stuff is sent to my locker in, in, in spring training. So I'm looking at December issue. Uh, this Haitian girl, all she has is on with a smile. <laughs> Beautiful girl. You flip the pages over, all she had on with a smile. So I put her... On top of my locker. Yeah. Okay. And the back of the locker was Bill Lee, Bernie Carville, Fergie Jenkins, uh, Rick Wise, and Jim Willoughby. Five of us. All sickies. Yeah. Well, we're all sickies. Yeah, right. We're all sickies. <laughs> so, uh, so halfway through the season, well, before the season, uh, All Star break started, whenever the, the team went on the road, I covered her with a towel because right. they had visitors that come in the locker room. Right. They, people want to see Fenway Park. And you're being respectful. They, yeah, right. Yeah. So the clubhouse kid said, Don Zimmer tore her down. So I didn't let it go. I didn't mind. Right after the All-Star break, because we're, we're in first place. Is Zimmer place. the manager or the yeah, coach? Yeah, he's the manager. He's the manager. We're in first place at the time. And in the Boston Globe, there's an insert in the Boston Globe of Don Zimmer with a big chew, big head, Pencil, arms, legs, and body. So I blew it up, <laughs> put it above my locker, and wrote Buffalo Head underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> and he, I know he had to see it. Yeah. So yeah. we were the Buffalo Head gang. That's how it all started. <laughs> how did he take that? Did he, did he get uh, his he feathers he, ruffled? I didn't get back. He didn't, he didn't say anything to me. But it stayed the whole year. Yeah. When the last road trip we were on, somebody got it. I don't know who got it, but, but I put it in my book. That'd be fascinating. Somebody punched his ass, didn't they? Didn't he? Uh, there was Pedro a, Martinez. Pedro Martinez. Yeah. He didn't punch him. He, when he, he ran out, he, ran he, had, he got into a fight, the team, and Zimmer charged. A 70-year-old charging a guy that's 25 years old, and Pedro just pushed him out of the way. Yeah, but, that, but at that time, Zimmer was coaching with the Yankees. Then, yes, right? right, yeah. He was a little different guy. I mean, he, he to me, I think in some cases misunderstood but in some cases, nobody liked him. <laughs> Bill, Bill Lee called him a gerbil. <laughs> well, he had these big puffy cheeks. And, you know. he, got, he got hit with a line drive in the dugout. The next day, he shows up with a, a Nazi helmet on. <laughs> what, a German helmet. Well, what was it? In, in Texas, in my book, I've got an excerpt where he came out to argue with the umpire, was arguing, 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 spitting at each other, you know, tobacco juice going this way, saliva this way. And Zim finally got mad and grabbed a hold of the chew in his mouth, threw it on the ground, and then the umpire and him are both looking at it, and they broke up laughing. Zim had pulled his false teeth out and thrown them on the ground, (laughs) as well as the chew of tobacco. Don Zimmer is the only coach player I've ever seen at chew and never spit. Really? I don't know where it went. I think this is it right here. Yeah, right. So, so is that Manny Ramirez? That's yeah, Manny Ramirez. Man. And that's uh, so Pedro had done something before. And hey, he'd knocked somebody retali- down. This is retaliation. He knocked somebody down earlier. 
Here it is right and here. Here comes Don. Like what? I mean, <laughs> he just pa- pa- down. Pedro, I think he's doing Don like a favor Pedro's here. Patting Don Zipper on the back. <laughs> the cop. <laughs> yeah. You're all right. You guys 70 some years old. I mean, Pedro, when you look at it like that, Pedro could have really hurt him. I mean, yeah. you know, he kind of did him a favor. Well, by Pedro just, was a stud at them times, too. Yeah. He was unhittable almost. Yeah, well, he, he had knocked somebody down the day before. Oh, and this is and, retaliation. Yeah, and yeah. Zimmer just went to charge <laughs> You're okay. Look at David Ortiz. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Now, you were with David when he got uh, yeah. inducted. Right, yeah. I mean, he, he was a, a kind of a, a, an individual that when Minnesota released him mm-hmm. and he went to, to Boston – why did they release him? They said right. he couldn't hit. All of a sudden, he turned into a hitting machine. Um, he might have changed his stance at the plate or something, right. but he became a really a good clutch hitter. And I think uh, for Boston, he was on three World Series teams with them. Yeah, I think so. so. Um, they're America's team. I Boston? Think so. I think so. Like the, the, the Dallas Cowboys claimed, I'm not a Cowboy fan, but <laughs> the Cowboys claim to be America's team, and they are because people all over like the Cowboys. Sure. You know, but... I think the Red Sox are America's team when it comes to baseball. Oh, you're going to piss off L.A. big time. <laughs> I don't give two shits on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's no, but nothing I, in L.A. I, I care about. I think people really, they like the underdog. They yeah. like the underdog when finally the Cubs won in 2016. They like the underdog when Boston won for the first time. But now Boston's a staple there. Yeah. But just everywhere you go, you see Red Sox stuff. Everywhere you go. Yeah. And, I, I mean, it's, it's nice to know that uh, – People respect the organization mm-hmm. because I played there. We, we had a good team. You know, we had the Skrimsky and we had Fisk and Rice and Lynn and Burles. They, they were a good ball club. We had George Scott for a while. They but, weren't fun to pitch to. No. Well, when your number nine hitter is Hobson, <laughs> who can take you deep in a New York second, that yeah. is not a fun lineup. No. What, what, do you, what do you think about baseball is going to be on strike now? Yeah, they have the lockout, right? And and yeah, and this is how bad what is it, it is. Over? I'm what a is sports it? fan. I had to ask the same thing. They're still negotiating. It's not over. Spring training was supposed to start the 14th of February okay. for most teams. Pitchers and catchers report that particular day, and then the first day of spring training is the 15th of February. But now that's come and gone. I tell you, I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for the businesses in Arizona that rely on this because that's hotels, a huge thing. everything. Oh, that's a huge used cars. Rental cars, you name it. What I mean, they make a, a lot of money. What Arizona. What is the strike pertaining to? What are the players unhappy? Uh, I think uh, with it's, the reserve clause, a little bit. It's not a strike. The owners have locked, locked them, out. them out. Yeah, okay. but the biggest thing they're negotiating uh, that uh, it's it's the five the five year rule in the minor leagues and the reserve clause and free agency. There's there's so many categories that's that's involved in this, and they just can't seem to get it to, to the point. Oh, and they're share dividing. At one time, see the World Series. Uh, if you play in the World Series, the one the, the the major team gets the first four games, and then anything after that goes to the owners. Right. And they're trying to divide all this different monies up. It's all about the billionaires against the millionaires. <laughs> Isn't that something? So yeah. did did y'all play through a lockout in y'all's time? Probably a couple times. Two of them. Yeah. You what know, is that? How do how do you what do you do as a player? Well, we worked out on our own. Uh, we went to the basically the clubhouse. Joe Macko was the clubhouse guy at the time. Hey, Joe, we need a case of baseballs. We're going to take batting practice or infield. We need balls to work out with. And, and, we and find, all, all of this was under the table because yeah. they, they couldn't they participate. They couldn't give you anything. Yeah. And we worked out in baseball fields, high school fields, until it was over. The are first you, one we were with was 60 days, right? Yeah. Um, 60 days. It cost you, the Montreal Expos a World Series, one of them. Yeah, 94. They would have won that thing 94. probably. They had a great team oh, in 94. they were loaded. Yeah. 
as a baseball player, are you wanting to play? Are you wanting to get back out there? Or are you kind of taking this as a extended, uh, let me get my body right? No, I'll tell you. By the time yeah. when you get done in October, October, November, December, January, in February, you're going nuts as you're a player. Itching. You want to get back. I mean, you want to start playing. You want that life back. Mm-hmm. You, you want to continue to get paid at this point. But it's it's when you're playing baseball with all due respect to the family baseball is your life right and it's it's like taking that life away from you yeah. so there's no such thing as we want to sit out and this is a good excuse this is a man get this over with right you know i think football learned their lesson because they had an opportunity to have a lockout or strike a year ago or 2 years ago and they got that shit hashed out before the season started and Baseball, I think, is really screwing up the owners because people already don't watch sports like they used to. Yeah. And people don't feel sorry for guys that are making millions of dollars a year. No, it's, it's really mean, something you can't. I've been told a lot of times a family of four can't go to a ball game where they used to do it three or four times a week. Now you're lucky to do it once a month. Just parking. It's so expensive. Yeah. Parking so expensive. alone at the new Ranger Stadium. I mean, it's, it's Globe Life Stadium. That, yeah, it's yeah. expensive. Well, it's when expensive. you when you've got a 24 inch hot dog for 25 bucks, right? <laughs> beer. I mean, that's right. Beer's Man. four four fifty yeah. or something. Oh, it's more than that. Is it more than that? I think I think, bucks, beer, I think beer's like twenty five dollars. Oh, Jeez. <laughs> um, mean, if you if you take your family of four to a ball game. And you have to buy your tickets, which we always get tickets somehow comped to us or given to us. But if you buy four tickets, you're going to spend time. You buy a ticket, you're going to spend a thousand dollars to take your family to a ball game for the night. Just five hundred. If you have to get a hotel in the Metroplex, it's thousand. You're going to spend a thousand dollars. Well, who can afford to spend four thousand dollars? Take your family to four. Now, like if you live hours. in the Metroplex yeah. and you do it, you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, you better have, have a good credit card, that's yeah, for sure. That's right. <laughs> Did you have to do anything else? Have you had to do anything else to your Achilles since that injury? You said they just kind of stapled it together. They stapled it. I, I rehabbed for almost four and a half months. It happened September the, uh, the 1st. I had my operation on September the 2nd. I was able to really to put a good shoe on, boot on, uh, probably sometime in December. Uh, I started to work out. I went to Boston, to Boston University, and they put me on a machine to stimulate muscle because I had a lot of atrophy in my right sure. leg. And uh, I had a, a Pakistani doctor or a technician work me out in water because mm-hmm. I was buoyant. Right. And, and I did that for almost three weeks, went back home to Canada. And it was like, like I said, for February the 14th to 15th, went to spring training, and I started with a running shoe. That's the only thing that wouldn't swell my leg up, was working out with a running shoe. You know, they got a new surgery for that now. They've got a new way of doing that. Because I've torn both of mine over the last 15 years, and it's miserable. Ask him how he did it. Well, one Jumping out of a boat? (laughs) Jumped out of a football stands. I threw the game-winning touchdown, and he decided that he was going to be – Jump out of the stands? Jumped out of the stands to – because at Knox City – there's a football field, and then the track is around it. Mm-hmm. So you're not right on the football field if you jump out of the stands. So we did that. And there was a mouthy guy behind me. When your son's quarterback, I told my wife this all the time, <laughs> quarterback gets all the accolades, yep. and when he fucks up, everybody knows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I might have thrown an interception or something it's, before So there was that. a guy running his mouth, and I didn't want to deal with him. Sure. And it, I'm, so I just jumped out of the stands, went down there. When Andy threw a touchdown, I jumped up. And when I did, I thought somebody hit me with a two-by-four behind my back. I mean, yeah. it felt like some, I thought somebody hit me with a two-by-four in the back of my leg. Yeah. And that sound, and then I did it playing basketball, the other one three years later. Oh, and wow. I knew. But they've got a new surgery now that's not near as evasive, they say. But it is a miserable recovery. 
Well, I got a, 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 a scar on the back of my right leg about this long where they went in and Attached, pulled, the, it. pulled the Achilles, it rolled up in my calf. Right, yeah. They pulled it down and attached it on the, the lower part of the heel. The first one I did, I completely ruptured, complete thing, yeah. completely the whole set. And I've got a scar about that big. They had to go from oh, the wow. top to the bottom. The second one wasn't as, it, it, the scar's a little bit smaller. Yeah. But they've got one now that they do that they just, I think they, it's just a whole lot better way of doing it. But it's a terrible recovery. Well, and I don't feel sorry for your two-inch scar. <laughs> <laughs> That, well, is that the is that Tommy John? No, that I was. I threw a pitch and tore the flexors, tendons completely off the elbow, tore the medial collateral in half. And yeah. Dave Dravecki can cut can can stomp us all on that. Well, he's the one that threw and his arm bopped, and then he ended up had cancer and had to get his arm cut off. Cut off, yeah, yeah. Is he still alive? Ooh, I've, I, possibly. He might yeah, live in San I Diego. Think- he might still be alive, yeah. You know, the thing about Fergie, though, he was re- able to recover a lot faster than normal. This this is one of the top 10% of the athletes that were in the game at the time. I mean, Fergie's reflexes are awesome. Like, right. like he said, baseball was his third sport, and he's a Hall of Famer. Spring training, he is so accurate. Spring training, he was really a pain. We would do these drills of pitchers covering first and bunt plays, and you always had – eight or ten pitchers lined up taking their turn, and Fergie always had a ball in his back pocket. And Fergie could stand 30 feet away and just flick it with his wrist and hit you on the toe (laughs) nine out of ten times. And you're standing here trying to pay attention or acting like you are, and this ball hits you on the toe from 30 feet, and you start hopping around, MFing everybody in sight, and Fergie slides behind somebody as an invisible. The manager is on your ass big time for screwing around, and Fergie is over here. He could do this with consistency and did. I bet spring training, by the time you've made the team in your third, fourth year, it's nothing but a lot of fun for four, five, six weeks. It is, but the thing is that you've got to get yourself in shape, and which I enjoyed that part of it. I did a lot of running. Later on, I didn't do a whole lot of running. But uh, getting yourself in shape, knowing that you were going to be the starting pitcher, the opening day pitcher, I mean, that was a, a kind of an honor. Yeah. You got that opp- opportunity to be the opening day pitcher. Uh, whatever team you're with, Boston, Chicago, or, or uh, uh, I, I think uh, opening day a couple times with the Rangers. When did you and make the Hall of Fame? What year? 91. 91. Was your parents still alive then? No, my dad was at uh, the time. Yeah. Proud parents. Yeah. My dad, my dad basically, he came to the Hall of Fame with me. But, but he, when I had the announcement uh, given to me, and uh, Jack Lang is the individual that phones you, uh, and he phoned me on a Sunday afternoon about 5 o'clock, 5, 15, that I'd made the Hall of Fame. My dad was the first individual I phoned. And I could tell on the end of the phone he was crying. He was happy for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Now, could, you, could you have been the first black hockey player in the Hall of Fame if you just stuck hockey? Ooh. Willie O'Ree was the first black hockey player with Boston. No, that made the Hall of Fame. Oh, I don't know. But I'm, I'm the, you know, supposedly, who is it, uh, Dave Winfield had an opportunity to play four different sports. Right. But I've got three contracts, major sports. St. Louis Blues, I worked out with them, got a contract. Harlem Globetrotters. Major League Baseball. So you, so you had a chance to play pro hockey, too, then? I had an opportunity. So you weren't just the novice black guy playing hockey that <laughs> yeah. you're trying to come across yeah. as. Get, one look, get roughed up one yeah, game, right. and you're like, oh, i got to sit this now, one out. Winfield, well, I, I love playing hockey. Winfield was a big man, too. Yeah, Winfield's like 6'6". Six, six. He was All-American basketball, basketball player, baseball player, and football, football. player at Minnesota. Yeah, but he, he probably doesn't have three contracts. 
No. But <laughs> well, he, he was drafted by three. Yeah. Now, yeah, he did. He got drafted by all three pro yeah, sports. Yeah. Did you play against him much? Yeah, he was with San Diego at the time. Uh, I didn't pitch against him with the Yankees or with the – I'd already retired when he got the World Series. He was, he was the, like Parker. His arms were nine miles long. I mean, he could stand on the extreme outside of the batter's box and rake the outside corner. Yeah. And you couldn't pitch him inside consistently either. Yeah. I mean, th- they were tough outs because they were, had such reach and such power. Mm-hmm. So Frank Thomas wasn't the first really big baseball player. There's been a lot of guys back in the day. Oh, I'll tell you what, uh, Rico Cardi, Rico Cardi, just unbelievable. The body he had when he played for Atlanta, what hit three sixty one that year, the batting title. Yeah, yeah, and I mean guys like Baylor, you could see muscle definition through the uniform. Who's the guy that plays for the Yankees now that's so big? Uh, oh, Judge. Judd? Yeah. Judge? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Judge. Judge. Yeah. yeah he, he's 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, yeah. yeah. Just a monster. Yeah. He's a smooth swing. Oh, he's got a great swing. It was rookie year where he had 43 home runs, yeah. 44 yeah, home runs so. as a rookie. You think yeah. baseball, you think the, uh, why are we having so many more home runs now than we used to? Because that's what they're trying to hit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they want more, more activity, and, and the ball's fired up. Rawlings will not come forward and say, that ball's fired up. So it's not the same ball you were we played. We played in the – Kearney and I probably played in the, in the dead, dead, dead ball, ball series or dead ball era. So there's but, been different iterations of the baseball. Well, yes. I, the ball at one time was well, – the center was a cork. Right. Now it's, I think it's rubber. Oh. And it's wound really tight. It's got uh-huh. more bounce to so it. it's got and more. The ball, and and you, they change the ball every pitch almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't go through two pitches in a row. Fall ball, I used to want – give me that ball. It's got scuff marks on it. Right, or the ball right. in the infield. A ball in the infield, they throw it around, and then they throw it out. Right. Crazy. So, um, when did did they start that in your era of baseball? No. Of, of the foul ball, and then let's just get no, it out that, of here? No, that was started probably early 90s. Hell no, oh, it cost money back then. They wouldn't yeah. do baseballs well like they did. We, we used to go through six dozen balls in a game. Now they go through 13 dozen balls. Uh, and talking about hitting, how many dingers you got in the major leagues? I hit 14. You hit 14. Yeah. That's so right. You, and actually, you got to bat. You know, I got, hey, I got a lot of extra base hits. But the nice thing about it, you know, when I went to the plate, I, I wasn't just going to stand there and be a strikeout victim. Right. So I wanted, I wanted to swing the bat. And there's been some times when I hit off several pretty good hitters. So, and you're pitchers, the last guy me. that they're going to, like, ding with the baseball because you can get them right back in the next No, inning. they don't, they want to pitch to him because it's supposed to be an easy out. <laughs> yeah, supposedly an easy out. You know, my first home run was Don Sutton. Second home run, yeah. Tom Seaver. Well, you did, he hit him off some guys. In. Yeah. What, uh, but pitchers aren't supposed to be athletes. Like Jim, I don't think of Jim as an athletic guy. <laughs> Jim's on. a smart chemistry guy. Well, I'm to me, I consider myself in the bottom 10% of the people I played with as far as athleticism. Mm-hmm. I was a one-trick pony. I could throw the hell out of the ball. I could throw as any as good as anybody. I was a very poor pitcher. I was a hell of a thrower. Now, now, but, but Fergie was an athlete. For Fergie was a hundred percent athlete. When they hit line drives back at him, and he'd catch it and stuff it behind his back and walk off the mound, <laughs> and you, you you looked, what did I just witness? I mean, was Gaylord Perry an athlete? Gaylord Perry pitcher. wasn't a bad athlete. He was probably middle of the road. He was just tough, ornery. You had to hit him with a big stick to beat him. I mean, that was yeah. just Gaylord's mo. Was Fernando Valenzuela an athlete, or just a guy could throw? He's, 
Yeah. Real a, funky had a good, motion. Yeah, good screwball. Yeah. But he, he, was, was, a, but he, he was a he, pitcher, not an athlete. He, they said he could hit, too. I've never seen him really put the ball in play. Because I only pitched maybe once or twice again, and he didn't hit the ball that well. But, you know, when you think about athletes, Gibson was a great athlete. Yes. Uh, Jim Cott, probably Craig Maddox, even... Maddox was he won like fourteen or fifteen gold gloves. I mean, it's incredible. Six sixteen consecutive. Is that right? What about yeah. the guy that's your age that just retired, Ichiro Suzuki? What do you think about him? <laughs> he's like fifty freaking years old, and he's yeah. still playing pro ball in Japan. Yeah, all right. Well, hey, if the money's right. I'm going to play. But he uh, still, but he you. still can hit the ball. Yeah. To me, one of the more impressive like that was Julio Franco. Yeah. Played into his fifties, and Julio could hit from day one. Yeah. He never did really know how old he was, though, did they? Well, uh, sometimes back, back the Latin guys frame. they they gave, they said, that, "Well, he's only twenty five, <laughs> but really he's thirty <laughs> five." Before we get off here, tell me a little bit about Louis Tiant. He's one of my favorite person. I mean, Louis is a person and a half. Louis had a great uh, uh, two statements. He when you play golf against Louis and you put the ball and it just doesn't get to the hole, he calls that a Mexican ball. Well, how come, Louis? He said, one more revolution. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Cuban. But Louis, you know, the first time I met Louis, we're in the locker room uh, after a ball game, and he'd won a ball game, and he's got this big, long cigar. He walks in the shower with it lit, smoke, washes up, comes back out, comes out, it's still smoking. Never got it wet. <laughs> but, he, but he was a funny guy. But, I mean, Louis just, he played Almost 19 years in the big leagues, played winter ball 21 years. <laughs> he just loved baseball. Oh, he loved the game. Well, that's back then, being a Cuban, he played in Venezuela or played in Dominican or Puerto Rico, but it was a, it was a, it was a money venture for him. I mean, he played because of the fact that yeah, he couldn't get an off-season job. Off-season job was baseball. One, so, one more guy. Tell me about Mudcat Grant, one of my favorite people. Mudcat. Mudcat and the kittens. He had a, a band that he'd tour with in the offseason. Uh, he had three ladies that he would sing with because he was a great musician. He could play the piano and he could sing. And uh, he was a blues singer. And he was a pretty good golfer, too, when you didn't catch him putting it with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> he had that foot wedge. But, but I mean, he was one of the first uh, uh, players of color to win – a World Series. He won two World Series games against the Dodgers. And, first, and hit a three-run home, home run. run. I think off Colfax or Drysdale. But Newcomb was the first really good black player that was a dual. He hit like 30-some home runs, Don Newcomb. I think Mudcat maybe hit maybe well over me. He had some teens, 14 or 15 home runs. Do you think any of the pitching records will ever be touched, like of wins and stuff from today's guys? No. Uh, I'm trying to think, though, the, the Oakland player – uh, that passed away a few years ago, won 26 games. Uh, white pitcher before, before Mudcat. And I can't think of who it was. But he played uh, in the, uh, the early 80s uh, that he won 26. Dave Stewart? Dave, no, not Dave. Dave won 20 games, I think, four or five years with Oakland. But uh, he won 26 games. Catfish? Catfish won 25 the year that, that I did in 74. But, you know, the, the, the year of the... The good athlete to play duel is the guy from uh, oh, Angels. The, 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 the Chinese yeah. guy, yeah. Shinjo or whatever his name yeah. is. He's a freaking stud. But the biggest thing, how are you going to help the team? Do you think you can help the team by being a pitcher? You're only going to win maybe seven, eight ball games if you do well. 
But the, as a hitter, what he hit forty some home runs. Didn't he win? Multiple, uh, didn't uh, he win double he, digit games this year? Uh, I think he won ten or eleven. But the biggest thing is he was MVP. He should be. Yeah. Well, plus you're you're pay, playing seven days a week instead of twice a week yeah. as a pitcher. But yeah. do you think any pitching records like all time victories or anything? I don't think the guys are going to ever pitch enough to do that again. Well, geez, I think uh, how many has Verlander got? About one eighty five to not one ninety, I think. And he just had Tommy John surgery, right. so he's coming back. He might even have more than that. He might have two hundred. Is Bartolo Colon still pitching? Two twenty six. Two twenty six. Is yeah. he ranking him the seventieth winningest pitcher? So no. he's got a ways to go. Yeah. Is Bartolo Colon still pitching? Or he finally retired. He's retired. Did yeah. he? Colon. Yeah. So I want to know. Brady just retired. Twenty two years in a locker room. You had nineteen. He hasn't officially 19. given it up yet. Well, how There's, many years did you play? I played 21 seasons. 21. Yeah. How do you turn that off after 21 years and do mundane it, I'm home I'll, now? I'll tell you. For me, <laughs> for, the, for the first 10 years, it is hard. It's not Ten easy. 10 years, so a decade. 10, uh, 10, 15 years, maybe 20. I'd get real antsy around 530 at night. Because th- this is where your life began, right. about 5, 5.30. Five, even now, after I've been retired nearly 40 years, actually, I ran out of teams. I didn't retire. <laughs> but <laughs> from 5 o'clock till 10 o'clock at night, it's hard to find something to do. It is just, for me, it's right. a dead time. I don't know about you, but... Well, m- my situation, I was given the retirement uh, when the... F- when the Cubs didn't need me anymore, Dallas Green said, "Hey, we've got youngsters that uh, that can pitch. They they needed they deserve an opportunity." Mm-hmm. And my wife wanted me home because I had three teenage daughters at the time. Wow! So, but what was nice to go home for the first time ever in the month of March and be able to fish for for whatever fish I wanted to for for walleye or, or bass or, or musky. But the thing. I, I came home with my dad. We had a small ranch, and I was raising quarter horses. Mm-hmm. And I was home with my father, and dad was living with us on the farm. But I enjoyed, I had another job. But the number one thing is I think it's family. You come home right. to your family. And my family, they grew up in the game of baseball, mm-hmm. but I didn't grow up with them. So I miss graduations. I miss birthdays. From, so now I'm home with my family. So let me ask you this. What kind of a... Because that's what Brady also said. Like, I want to be, I need, I need to be there for them. But at at a teen, having teenage daughters, was there? Did you guys have a good relationship, or is that something that you had to work on whenever you were home all the time? Now, I think I had to work at it because my kids enjoyed seeing me home. Right. And I had had this, like I said, a small ranch, and I worked it. Uh, the nice thing about it is that the wife enjoyed me home. Right. Because of the fact that now she doesn't have to. Uh, I think school the kids as much. Mm-hmm. Listen to your father. She would say, not, listen, listen to your father. Right. She's not judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> no, anymore. not anymore. Like she's got a it's me. <laughs> right. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, my wife in the off season, you're gone for most of the summer. Even when you're home, you're not home. Mm-hmm. You're home so little. I'd come home and interfacing with the kids and discipline them occasionally. She'd look at you like, why are you disciplining my kids? Right. right. Be- because you're never there. And, you know, for nine months of the year, you're they they love you, have you there in October. They like having you there in November. 
December, they put up with you. January, they want to get rid of your ass. <laughs> and February, yeah. you're gone. Yeah. All you, all you do is screw up their life. Right. Because they've got a system. They've survived without you, and they have this system. Yeah. It's like kids coming home at, at, for, during college in the summers. Yeah. By the, you know, you miss them at hell when they first leave. But then by the time they come back the next summer, you're like, some bitch, I'm ready for them to go back. They've screwed up our rotation around. Well, it's kind of like grandkids, too. You're you're really happy when they show up and see them, and you're really happy when, when they leave. Because you get to sleep. Yeah. People do not realize that don't have grandkids. Yeah, that, that is correct. moment is when they show yeah. up, and the happiest moments when they leave. Yeah, that's right. Because that's how, I've after hunting hunting season, it's all, it's an all-in excursion. September yeah. to February, um, this is what we do. September and October are okay because it's just dove season. But I put my seven-year-old to bed last night, and I said, all right, but I'll, I'll see you in the morning. He said, that's right, because you, you're not hunting anymore, so I'll see you tomorrow morning when I wake up. I don't have to wait until tomorrow night to see you. Yeah, it's supper and, time. And, yeah. and, and, you know, stuff like that kind of tugs on you. You're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, it, you don't think that he notices it, but he's like, oh, that's right, Dad. I will see you in the morning for coffee. Yeah. I will see you when I go off to school. And... um and I can just imagine what it's like for you guys because I've got the benefit of going to my house every night. Whereas a baseball player, a professional athlete, you're on the road 80, 90 days out of the year, out of 162. So you're gone. Yeah. One of the biggies, one of the biggies was my wife's story when my son was two, three years old and I was on the road trips and had an all-star picture in the house. And she'd say, that's daddy. That's daddy. And so she wanted to keep that interface going. And so I came home one time and she was really proud. She says, Jason, where's daddy? And he pointed to the picture. That hurt. Yeah. He's just a That's him. <laughs> he delivered the mail yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too much. Well, I appreciate you guys both being on here. It's been a great podcast. Jim's got the book on Amazon. Check it out. Fergie's playing golf all the time now. Well, yeah. Ferg, Fergie, you've written, what, three books? Book. Five. five books. Five books. Authored five books. The last one is the, about the 69 Cubs on how we played from spring training to the last three weeks of the season and then losing out to the Mets. Is is it on Amazon? or yeah, You can get it on Amazon, and you can get it through the Fergie Jenkins Foundation, dot, dot .ca. Tell us about the foundation yes. a little bit. Well, I, I started the foundation in 94. And now I'm closing it down because I've gotten to the point, you know, I've done it for well over 20-some years. And it's just the fact that, you know, this, basically the strike is really hurt and also the, the, the Colbert 19. Yeah. The Colbert, I mean, it really it threw a wrench into everything because you can't travel. I didn't go to spring training last year. And the nice thing that I had the opportunity to say to myself, I can relax. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't do spring training. I stayed home last year, and I, I bought two dogs, mm -hmm. and I tried to train them as much as I could, and now they're two years old. And what's nice is I just try to relax. But, is that, I mean, you know, you're, you've been doing this forever, and you've been going to spring training forever. Yeah, and it's, it's just it's, it's got to the point I just felt at ease now that I didn't have to go to spring training. Well, and you as know, of right now, I'm not going back – Nobody's phoned me to come back, so. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what, too. Now it gives you time to work on your marksmanship. Yes, right. I could do that. <laughs> I watched your uh, documentary on, on Did you? MLB Network. Right. You've overcome a lot yeah, in, in your personal life. Yeah, it, everybody, I think, has that tragedy that doesn't get publicized. But Marquee and Major League Baseball, they, they came to me and said, 
Ferguson, do you mind us putting this together about your about your life? And I said, hey, if you want to do it, it took him six months to put it together. How long did it get? How long did it take you to be comfortable talking? Because I mean, you lost you lost your your wife, yeah, Marianne, right after Marianne. you were inducted in, or before you were inducted. Into before the I was Hall inducted to Hall of Fame, yeah, and then I lost a daughter within uh, eleven months after that with a young lady I thought was going to help me out. Cindy helped me out with the kids. She was depressed when her mother passed away, and they considered it a murder suicide. Yeah, and then I lost Lydia, who I had the, the relationship for almost 22 years. She developed some kind of stomach ailment, mm-hmm. or lower intestine, and it just took her. She lost a pound a day, and then her body just gave up. How? So, I mean, I'm assuming you've you've sought out professional help oh, yes. to talk about these issues definitely and, i yeah. mean i just my hat is off to you because you don't shy away from any of it you know you meet everything head on and like this is this is your past and yeah. we can discuss it well you know what this all boils down to it's dangerous to marry fergie jenkins <laughs> <laughs> thanks Kern. Uh, <laughs> no but you know what's nice is that i've got good family ties yeah with my with my daughter's uh, and at the time, my dad is still alive, and I and I went to counseling. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can't do it alone. I went to counseling, and I had a, the the clergy because uh, Marianne was was Catholic, mm-hmm. and at the time, Raymond was only eleven when he lost his mom, and then he was twelve when he lost his sister. Uh, so he at one time didn't understand what was going on, right? And I tried to to be as much of a help as I could. He hated school mm-hmm. for some crazy reason. He had a tough time. I'd have to get phone calls in the afternoon. Mr. Jenkins, you got to come get Raymond. He's having a tough time. Yeah, so I, I can imagine so. Like yeah, his mother passes away, and then he's somebody, 11, 12 he, years old. Right. He, he, he really he the focus that he had, he didn't really understand it until he got older. I think. How the, could you? I mean, as an eleven and twelve year old, yeah. like your body's changing. Number one at that age, yeah. and then all of a sudden you've lost two mother figures and a sister. Yeah. I mean that that that'd be tough on any any twelve yeah. year old. Yeah. How did you go about? Your wife just passed away. You got the phone call that you're now supposed to be one of the most happy, the happiest moment of your life. Yeah, in and, the Hall of Fame, and I couldn't celebrate it with her. But but and when can I you went, really celebrate? Like like how do you even get up for that at all? Uh, you know, to me, it it was tough. Yeah, and I, I there's been some quiet times when I just sat in a room and said, hey. You know, okay, one time uh, I, I said, why me? Sure. And then I said to myself, everybody gets exposed to tragedies. Mm-hmm. And when I went to counseling, uh, we were in a, like a round-robin type situation where there were two other families that had drownings or fires. Yeah. And you actually seen you're losing your loved ones. Mm. And I, I just, I, you know, I... I, I feel for them. It don't take long to see someone that's got it worse than we do. Oh, yeah, for sure. But not everybody looks at it that way. Yep, you're right. We, I, we're all a why me person. Everybody yeah. is. That's just, And that's normal. Sure. But the nice thing about it, uh, my, my daughters helped me so much, mm-hmm. and I had counseling. You know, well, and, and, and everybody other, needs counseling. The other thing he had was the baseball life and the baseball friends. Yeah. Right. Randy Hunley was good. Billy Williams. Joe Pepitone. You've got there a, were a few turn. guys. You've got a, a crutches. Yeah, yeah you, you take care of your own. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. But it's tough. It's tough. You know, you know. Somebody made a comment one time. He said, "Ferg, you got to be in a rubber room." I said, "Please, I don't want to be in a rubber room. Mm-hmm. I want to live my life. It, 
one day at a time and, and take care of my family, my kids that, I, that I've got now. And they're in Canada. Raymond's in Chicago. And I've got a great companion right now, a young lady, Kathy Upton, which is really a super lady. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just trying to understand that if good things are going to happen, mm-hmm. you can make them happen. Right. You have to make it happen. Do, do you give, so your ability to overcome these, these personal tragedies, do you think back, did your days as a professional athlete help you in a way? Like you've just kind of got this mental, mental toughness and this, the next step, I, tomorrow's might be difficult, but I can make, I can do one step further. I think baseball has helped because uh, being an athlete, you know, you don't suffer with losses because right. it, the next day is different. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let it affect you. But in, in some cases, when you're alone, it affects you. Yeah. When you're alone, that quiet time, there's been some times when all of a sudden I start crying for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and I just, I'm glad that I can talk to people. And I, and I, I had that opportunity and the counseling really helped me. Well, and you going through this, you can be of service to somebody else because yeah. whether we like it or not, tragedy is going to come on every one of us. Everybody, everybody's going to have a certain amount of tragedy. And now with you getting through it, your phone can ring one day. Sure. And you can, yeah. I'll, whatever you need, I can help you. Yeah. I helped Bernie Carbo. That, the incident was brought up with, with Major League Baseball. And he had just lost his mom mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, I think the father committed suicide, and he was sitting in a room, in a f- sitting on the floor with a bottle and, and a gun. Wow. And uh, Bill Lee got a hold of me and phoned, and I phoned Bernie. I said, Bernie, hey, you got three beautiful daughters. Yeah. You're going to affect them and yeah. their family. Don't do something that's going to – you're not going to be affected, but they are. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what kind of tragedy they're going to go through. Exactly. So don't do – whatever you – just put the gun away, please. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I, I told Bill, do me a big favor. And I, when I hung up with Bernie, I talked to him for about a half hour. Uh, Bill got a hold of uh, Major League Baseball, and Major League Baseball got a hold of, of uh, Bernie at the time. And, I, and I'm not sure what city, if he was in Boston or he was in Michigan. But uh, he straightened out his life. And he has really, really come around. I mean, uh, they, they talk about people getting reincarnated mm-hmm. to, in, in some respect. Bernie has changed his life. He's he's a different person now, and I'm, all, I'm, I'm happy for that. All from that phone call. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what you've done. It's amazing, uh, the, the both of you. I mean, when you think about the people that you played with and the, the era that you played baseball, you played <clears throat> when baseball was at its greatest, in my mind. I mean, you think of the Babe Ruth era, and then you think of the yeah. 60s, 70s, and 80s of baseball. And you guys were uh, at the pinnacle of that time. And you have you both led uh, exemplary lives. So it has been truly an honor to talk to both of you. Um, and, yeah, I, I wish you wish you the best with your book. And, uh, Fergie, it has truly it's been an honor to talk Thank to you. Thank you. Appreciate well, that. Thank you. you know, with the book, Jerry Royce sent me an email that said, I said something about uh, on Facebook that the book was not there to make money. 
right. was there to share these experiences. And Jerry Royce wrote me back and says, yeah, I was once told if you want to make money writing, write ransom notes. A lot of truth in that. Well, I appreciate you guys both like being on here. Notes. <laughs> and uh, Fargy, I hope you could come up and come hunting with us again. This I year. will. It's been about hey, 20 years, just, and we yeah. don't need to wait another 20 years. No, you're right. Uh, if Kearney gives me the invitation, you want to give me the invitation? Hey, I'll be I'm here. I'm telling you right now, you got right. an invite. Beautiful. So. Open right. invitation. You Thanks. just make that trek over here. Beautiful. We, we, know that, we know the hogs are pretty safe, so. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to come out here and Maybe go not birds. <laughs> you come waterfowl hunting with yeah, us Yeah, right. Okay. We can do All that. Right. We'd love to have Well, you know, out. we were talking. We're going to bring the dogs up and have you put out some pheasants and let us go with our dogs. and We, we can do that. Just let me know when, and we'll sure get that done. All right. I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you all for listening to us. God bless you all, and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. That was fun. That's the problem. You get us rolling, this never ends. Yeah, right. (laughs) 